I'm Radio Roger, and you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. W-A-P-G, it's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 358. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 316 at the Holiday Inn in Charleston, South Carolina. Today's show was recorded on the 15th of January, 2019. In today's episode, Lion Air cockpit voice recorder found, big balls of ice falling from the sky, Russia deploys tanks to the, their airports, more news, your feedback, and this week's plane tale, Adam Spink and Speedbird 38. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on, flight 358 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast where we cover aviation news and answer your feedback. And joining me today to help me in that endeavor is from her lakeside studio in South Carolina. She's a doctor, a skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot and all-around great girl. Dr. Steph. Thanks, Captain Jeff. I had to pull myself together there because I realized you were going to come over to me to say hi, and I had just taken a giant bite of a cliff bar. Oh. And yeah, that was that's a big mistake. Yeah, mistake on my part. So Ricky off to mistake. a great start. Looking forward to a great show. Yay, 358. Yes. <laughs> and from his mobile recording studio in New York City. A professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, current captain for an international airline based in London. It's Captain Nick. Hi, Jeff, and hi, everybody. So sorry for delaying the proceedings, which won't mean anything anything to anyone listening on the podcast. But to those who've been on the video watching it for nearly an hour and a half, my apologies. (laughs) It's been painful. (laughs) Great to be here eventually. Welcome, sir. And from his stately southern mansion in Smyrna, Georgia, between trips, barbecue master, motorcycle rider, boat skipper, and underwater photographer, and captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier based in Atlanta, Captain Dana. Well, hello, crew. How are you tonight? It's so great to be with you once again. 358, looking forward to, well, another fruitful show. Fruitful, yes. That's an adjective you have not used. I have not. I like it. Well, excellent. Glad that we're all together. And as Captain Nick hinted, um, it's been kind of a rough start getting this thing going, but uh, we're we're finally here, all together, and uh, it's great to see everyone. And uh, thanks, all of you folks in the live chat room, for hanging out with us and putting up with all of us. And uh, let's see. So, Captain Nick, you just literally arrived in your hotel room 
in New York City. And uh, tell us what's been going on with you. Well, uh, I, I'm trying to get my head around the fact that uh, this day has just been manic from start to finish. So um, a few, couple of days ago, I came back from uh, Boston uh, and uh, we, we were doing fine. But, you, you know, I love my dogs. I've got three Hungarian Vieslas. Uh, they're like uh, pointers, hunting dogs. Um, they're fabulous, but our old girl who she's 11, she's a, a wirehead, began to feel a bit unwell. So just before the weekend, we took her in, in fact, it was Saturday morning, took her in to see the vet. Wasn't sure what was wrong with her. She was obviously in a bit of pain. So painkillers over the weekend, come back on Monday, take another look. And, uh, an ultrasound revealed she had a, a pretty serious tumor. So uh, I was on call on Monday. It was so lucky that uh, I wasn't called out. But uh, Bet said we need to, you know, operate uh, pretty quick. These kind of tumors have a habit of bursting. Uh, so we brought her home, treated her very carefully. Uh, little did we know uh, in the night the tumor had burst, but we got her in next morning when they opened her up. They managed to get rid of it. Uh, which is fantastic. Uh, the vet that did the operation, we we love him. He's a super guy. He's uh, done work for us on our other dogs, and uh, he's just fantastic. Um, and uh, it, it sounds like it's been a very successful operation, uh, but that was all happening this morning, and it was 7.30 in the morning, and I'm thinking, well, if I have another quiet day, it'll be great. I can help Julie sort the dog out, and everything will be fine, but 7.30 phone rang and uh you know i'm needed in new york and this is this is kind of part and parcel of the job i i know everyone thinks it's a fantastic job and it is don't get me wrong but this is the time when you realize your life is not your own and you you're desperate to be at home with your family trying to help sort out a major problem but you've just got to drop everything because i was on call uh, you know, I, I, it's not like my father's died or, you know, someone very close to me. It's a dog and there's no way the company is going to go, well, I'm sorry, you can't skip a trip because your dog's not well. Um, so, you know, I just had to leave everything in my lovely wife's hands and thank the Lord. She is such a wonderful and capable woman uh, after so many years of being uh, married to me as a serviceman and a fighter pilot and working in the air force and then in the uh, in city street uh, in airline work she she knows the drill and uh, she's a lady who can cope so while i went hurtling off to the airport to uh, jump on an airplane and fly out here to new york she was taking the dog off uh, dealing with the aftermath of the uh, surgery the dog came out this evening, after what appears to be certainly uh, initially a very successful uh, operation, we're just going to have to wait for the biopsy. So everything's good back home, but you know sometimes you're very lucky when you uh, you know you meet uh, the one you're going to spend your life with. And I I have been a very lucky man. So my thanks to my lovely wife. And uh, uh, really for me, it's just been a slightly frustrating day trying to keep in touch and find out what's going at home. Um, wanted to get out here on time for the show, but of course uh, the baggage computer uh, broke down and we had to do a manual reconciliation of all the bags. Thank the Lord, we only had 47 passengers 
which uh, is a tiny load for my airplane, but it didn't take more. You know, we, we only delayed half an hour. But, uh, you know, I was, I was counting the minutes, knowing that we were going to try and start at six. So uh, my apologies, uh, again, for being late on parade. Well, you make a good point, Nick, that uh, everybody thinks of our job, our career as such a glamorous thing. And at times it is, but there are other times where it's, it's not, we make sacrifices. Let me put it that way. Uh, It's not all, you know, smiley faces. Yeah. I I can't count the number of birthdays I've missed Christmases. I've missed uh, children's events that I've missed because I just haven't been at home. So uh, I think as a single man's job, when you're carefree and, uh, you know, uh, just diving around the world with an airplane full of lovely girls is fantastic. But I think later on in life, you begin to realize that the job does have its uh, oh, the, the downside. And it can take its toll over time. As Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just want to send, send hugs to your lovely wife because I know she's certainly been through a lot today and that's a lot to go through with, with a dog. Any of us who have been... Dog owners, pet owners know about all that, and we're so grateful that Blue has had a successful Oh, yeah. I was all prepared for the worst possible news, quite honestly. Yeah. Um, Because, uh, you know, the signs were all bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm so delighted it's come through uh, good uh, and that uh, our lovely Blue will uh, carry on, hopefully, for a few more years yet. She's 11, so she's doing very well. Uh, but if she carries on uh, till she's 13 or 14, that would be fantastic. Well, if you have a little German dog, a little dachshund named Greta, uh, she's uh, 18 years old oh now. She will, she's like the Energizer bunny. She keeps going and going. She's incontinent. She's deaf. And she's blind in one eye. And you love her just I love her so much. Yes. I really Absolutely. I can yeah. tell. I know. <laughs> yeah, we, we've all been there. Yes. Anyway. Yes. Um, well, so good to have you with us. And I'm so happy to hear of the good news with uh, the dog. And I uh, really do agree with you. You are a blessed man to have such a wonderful woman as your partner. Uh, thanks, Jeff. Uh, yeah. And, and, and unfortunately it's, it's really not recognized, but they may as well be your children or your significant other, because the love that they give you is so unconditional that you can't help but love them with all your heart. So, oh, yeah. yeah, exactly right. Because are you uh, talking about I mean, wives or the dogs? Uh, the dogs. Okay, and you know you can you, you know the old adage is right. You can go and and go to a closet, lock your dog up and your wife up in the closet, come back five hours later, and the dog is always very happy to see you. The wife, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't tried that yet. <laughs> I don't uh, recommend it. I don't yeah, recommend maybe, it. maybe pass. Yeah, pass it, yeah. <laughs> Oh, already I have editing to do. Mm. Okay. Um, just kidding. Uh, let's see. Let's go with the, uh, oh, let's go with answering my door because room service is here. I'll ding, ding, right. ding, 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 oh, ding, 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 what a cheapskate. As a matter of fact, I can count on one hand how many times I've actually eaten in a hotel. Yeah. Oh. Let me guess. You fill your suitcase full of pot noodles. Nope. <laughs> yeah, right. He just doesn't Explore eat. the local food scene. 
I love the local. As a matter of fact, last night, I'll talk about it a little bit later, but anyways, I'll shut up now. So, okay. Continue. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up, Jeff. Shut up, Jeff. <laughs> How rude. She is rude. It's just a sound clip. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to I make it a sound clip now. Time and time. Oh, the one that I said. Yeah. Can you loop it a bunch of times like the other one, too? Shut up, Jeff. Shut up, Jeff. Shut, shut up, Jeff. Shut up, Jeff. Shut up. <laughs> so what, what were we talking about? I have no idea. Chicken quesadilla. No, quesadilla. before that. Yeah, it's, the L's are silent. Quesadilla. No, it's quesadilla. like a Y. C-I-L-L-A. It's quesadilla. It's quesadilla. I'm going to bow to your superior knowledge. But it says quesadilla in here. That's not the way you pronounce it. That's <laughs> it all. Eighteen point nine inches. In fact, it says quest quesadilla. <laughs> no, it's a quesadilla. Say habla español. Doesn't begin with a K. How can you say that? Habla español. Liz just updated. She said Nick had just finished his update. Excellent. Thank you, Nick. Or thank you, Liz and Nick. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks to everyone. <laughs> thank so, you all. <laughs> so Stephanie. Yes. How have Jeff. you been? I've been great. Thanks. Um, okay. Charlotte How is about, in the uh, moving Dana? on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> everything's great. Continue. <laughs> Go ahead, Steph. I'm sorry. No, so uh, I was just going to say it was a another kind of just quiet weekend for me. Um, Charlotte's kind of been in this weather pattern of fairly nice during the week, you know, kind of sunny or, you know, light overcast stuff. And then on the weekends, it just pours rain. And it's gross and it's cold and it doesn't make for doing a lot of um, interesting things. So I apologize for for my lack of interesting uh, stuff going on. Being a little boring. It has been good for marathon training, though. So I've gotten a lot of nice quality long runs in. I'll definitely take the, uh, you know, 30 to 40 degree Fahrenheit days and some drizzle and rain and uh, turn those into nice long runs. So another 18 mile run this weekend. And um, yeah, me too. Visited my physical therapist today to work mm. out the knots from that. Yeah, mm. fun times. It's a, it's a good thing we're, we're friends because... Yeah, we're not going to ask you what exactly what, they did what it entailed. to your muscles to help Yeah, them. well, it, let's just say that it, it helps. Mm. So, so that running thing moment, is like a lot of fun. I, I love it. And and <laughs> really looking forward to some upcoming races. Um, have some big personal goals for personal best times because the training's been going so well. So hopefully we'll see the the fruits of that labor payoff. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. The same Doesn't weather. Involve much flying or anything, but it, it is good for, for running. Yeah. The so same I'll kind of weather it. that you're getting, we've been experiencing. And the it's same like every weekend weather. and apparently this weekend is going to do the same thing, but I'm going to pass on that and go take a three night cruise in the Bahamas. Oh, there you go. Where wow. it looks like it's going to be in the mid seventies and sunny. Very nice. Very nice. We can't wait to Probably. hear about that. That'll be nice. I'm looking forward to it. Dana. Jeff. What have you been up to? Have you been flying? Yes, indeed I have. I started a three-day trip on Sunday um, and to be followed by a four-drip, 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 four-day trip that starts uh, tomorrow morning. I'm going to fly to my, probably my least favorite airport in the entire country. Uh, tomorrow, I've never flown there as a captain, and that's Chicago here International Airport. That place is just an absolute 
Oh, I love Chicago hair. It's fun. Favorite passenger. Um, it's it. It's no big deal, Dana. Come on. I was there okay. on New Year's Day, and then also the day after New Year's Day, um, which was mm. fine because that was a super early flight. But like, like it was not a busy day for air travel, right? And we still managed to get like a complete tour of the entire airport grounds on the way to our gate. And it was, I, I don't know. It just always seems to be like a yeah, lengthy it, process to I get th- to where you need to go. I think it's what two seven, right? The North complex runway mm-hmm. that if you land on that runway, it takes you about a half an hour to taxi to the gate. Well, if you <laughs> go through the North port, uh, the United ramp, um, and you have one of those gates that the United ramp serves, it's actually pretty quick. Oh, you're talking about mm. two seven right? Yeah, all, all the way, way up the there. No, I never on land on, on that. nine left. Yeah, I always that come in on a, two seven left or yeah, you two eight center. Lucky. Yeah, last time I was in there, it took a half an hour to taxi through the ramp. Yeah. That's Anyways, uh, so yeah, three day trip. I just finished. Uh, it was. Uh, um, it wasn't a bad trip. It was a three legs the first day, two legs the second day, three legs the last day, which was today. Uh, very early mornings. I had a, a, a super nice overnight in uh, Panama City Beach on uh, Sunday night. I missed my first Patriots game. I was going to ask you about that. You know, I knew yeah. that you were flying, and I was watching the Patriots on TV, and I'm thinking, I hope that Dana is in his hotel room watching this or something. Well, it kind of worked out that way. I mean, I've been going to the same Patriots bar for years now and hanging out with the same people that I love to hang out with and watch my Patriots. And of course, this is the playoffs. So that's uh, it's big deal over here for those folks that don't uh, live here in the United States. Uh, it, it's, uh, you know, kind of like the, uh, the world series of soccer or football, as you like to call it throughout the rest of the world. Um, and it's a, it's a big deal because I was very concerned this first round that they were playing whether they're going to be able to overcome the uh, obstacles of the um, Chargers, the Los Angeles Chargers now used to be San Diego. Um, they came in, and I was worried they were not going to win so that I would miss the next game. So anyways, uh, I lucked out, and the fact is I was on the ground for the kickoff and was on the ground for a good portion of the first quarter watching it on my uh, mobile device, and then it was only a 40-minute flight down to um, Panama City. So I really only missed about a quarter in about, you know, about, about 25 minutes of the game. And by the time we landed in um, um, Panama City, I was able to retune in on my, my personal device and watch it all the way to the hotel. And about uh, four or five minutes into the third quarter, uh, I was able to go down to the uh, bar that was overlooking the beach with beautiful big screen TVs. The the bartender was super nice, put on the volume, and here I am sitting at the bar overlooking the beautiful Gulf of Mexico and white, beautiful sandy beaches watching my Patriots play. And that you know, that was just that was really And at that a, point a, the game was long over. It was long over by then. So thank God. So now I have, we've lived to play next week and I'm off on Sunday. And when I say that, uh, for those of you who didn't see the game, the, uh, the other team really didn't come to play. No, they didn't. They, they did not. And I'm re- very concerned about this coming week, but we'll have to wait and see. That's the reason why everybody that's watching the video version can see my red hair, red hair Patriots hat because and I'm wearing a Patriots shirt that says never 
finished. Um, so anyways, uh, I I'm love hoping this weekend we will be successful because I would love nothing more because the Super Bowl is being played here in Atlanta this year. Uh, if I mark my words, unless mm. I really can't afford it, if the Patriots come here to Atlanta, anybody that knows you know, Super Bowl tickets, by the way, um, I would be uh, more than likely going to the game somehow, some way, <laughs> robbing a bank. I don't care. I will be going to the game if the Patriots are here. So, Steph, what are the what, chances what? of the um, of the uh, Carolina um, team making it to the Super Bowl? Zero. <laughs> Shut up, Jeff. Shut up, Jeff. Shut up, Jeff. Like our Atlanta Thanks Falcons. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> I like to pour some so, salt in my wounds, squirt some lemon sorry. in my eye. Thanks. Appreciate let it. Me, let me go ahead and Also, sque- talk. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm going to say, let's switch to aviation-based stuff. Okay. I had the ultimate uh, awesome experience. I was working out on my overnight in uh, the Newark area. And I was uh, really, really working out hard with this new program on a uh, on a uh, uh, a biking uh, platform, and I was pedaling really hard, and my phone rang, and I said, "Yeah, this is Dana." They said, "This is Roger Stern." I said, "Oh, really? Yeah, I I would like to come see you tonight." It's like, uh, 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 okay, I want to really get up early. I gotta get up early tomorrow morning, and I'm not thinking about what's going through my mind. Yeah, I'm gonna come over from Westchester. Westchester, Westchester is on the other side of the planet compared to Newark. Um, so everybody knows him at the beginning of the show. He says Radio Roger. So I had the distinct pleasure, and uh, really am honored that he took the time to drive over to Newark, New Jersey, through rush hour traffic, no less than the New York area, to come have dinner with myself and my first officer, who this time decided to join us. So I had a very enjoyable meal and uh, really enjoyed meeting Radio Roger uh, for the first time in person, and that was uh, a very exciting uh, evening for me. I'm Radio Roger, and you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. There you go. So it was a very interesting conversation. We had uh, really a, a great time together. Uh, and today was a very challenging day. Um, I, I know everybody heard me talk about uh, the going into New Orleans a couple weeks ago where I had to do a Category 2 Autoland approach. That We, we kind of broke out right at m- almost Cat 1 minimums, and the visibility below wasn't too bad. Today into Wichita, um before we even left the airport in Atlanta, the forecast was for to come up to about six miles of visibility. I kept on checking the weather going there and monitoring my fuel, monitoring my alternate. And as we came in towards the Wichita airport, they were still reporting one eighth of a mile in freezing fog. Yeah, so that report uh, essentially came to about a 1200 RVR, which is right at the minimums, absolute minimums of the runway uh, for a cat two approach into one left into Wichita, which is the only runway. And oh, by the way, the winds are 210 at eight knots. So it's pretty much a tailwind almost up to very close to our max tailwind, 10 knots. Um, and it's quartering slightly. So maybe it's about six or seven knots worth of true tailwind. Uh, so I had my first officer was flying the aircraft, uh, and unfortunately I had to take the airplane because he's unable to do a cat to auto land uh, per our company procedures. But we broke out. I mean, it was just like if we were in the sim. Quite literally, the approach lights started to come into sight, 
and right at minimums i you know it, you know we continued and then i was able to pick up the uh, runway and identify lights this time the auto land was much nicer until after it touched down and then decided to take a hard right turn towards the side of the runway uh, so i immediately clicked everything off and took over the aircraft but it was uh, a right to minimums i mean quite literally i saw flashing lights in minimums uh, so it was a very challenging day uh, apu was giving us problems would not start for the approach would not start in atlanta um, and then finally it did start for the return um, and that was my day of flying and here i am ready to go back to work tomorrow morning so excellent what are you doing tomorrow uh, I mentioned I'm going to Chicago, three-hour sit. Might see uh, everybody knows him. Steve uh, Steve Ivey might come meet me if he's uh, around for a little bit because uh, I've got a three-hour sit, and then I end up in uh, Bananaville, Nashville, tomorrow night. I'm going. Why do to, you call uh, it Bananaville? Bananaville because it's BNA. Oh yeah, that's right. That's its identification. So it's just for K those people. BNA. Wonder what the heck we're talking about. They wonder a lot yep. about it's what we're talking Bananaville about. It's Bananaville, and uh, yep, I'm going to be going to one of my favorite restaurants there tomorrow evening. So if anybody's listening and happens to be in the Nashville area, I will be at the uh, um, Stillery right there. I think it's on Second Second Avenue, and and uh, but anyways, it's it's there on Second and uh, Broadway. I think is what it is. Our first and Broadway. Uh, it's a fantastic place. So that's where I'll be for tomorrow night for dinner about eight quarter past eight local time. Very good. So if you're in the Nashville area, head over there and meet up with Dana. All right. Um, hey, we have someone who is um, a very active participant in the aviation podcasting world, a, a, a very frequent guest host with Pilot Pip on the Plane Safety Podcast. He sent us something. Uh, and he said he wanted us to call out or do a shout out for some folks. And uh, he writes in, is there any way Jeff can make a shout out to two friends of mine who I've just discovered are listeners and their names are Gaz and Z Sally. Almost said Sally. Gaz and Sally. They both used to fly with me at British regional airlines. So big shout out to Gaz and Sally. Woohoo! Woohoo! Hi Let's, guys! Uh, Thanks make for sure that I get uh, yeah. the applause here. Yeah, you can hardly hear if it. A, if you're a friend of Captain Al's, we're go sorry. Away. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, think about it. He, they knew him once upon a time, but obviously have not had contact with him for quite some time. So, well, I can't they've been very fortunate. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, sorry, I'm just kidding. Of course, we love Captain L. Yeah, well, he's in You're the just, chat just room. giving him a hard just... time because he's in the chat room, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so how do we do? Are we do all right. Anything else we need to say, Captain L? Okay, Gaz and Sally. What's Gaz short for? What could it be short for? <laughs> uh, Gary. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Um. No idea. Let's see. Let me get back here to the intro page. What else did I want to talk about? Don't forget, we do have the new APG community calendar, uh, which is on the website, airlinepilotguy.com slash calendar. 
And you can, if you have a Google calendar already set up personally, you can, you know, make it show up on your personal Google calendar. And if anything changes or whatever, you can see where we are and what we're doing and meetups and all that kind of stuff. So it's a lot of fun. Great way to keep in touch with us. Also, don't forget, you'll hear it at the end of the show. We are on social media, APG crew on Twitter and the airline pilot guy on Facebook and yeah, that's uh, and Slack as well. So, um, Gaz is short for Gareth. Gareth. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and also don't forget, we have a wonderful library, the APG library, uh, which is managed by Tiffany, Tiffany Walsh. Thank you, Tiffany. And it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what she said. And we do thank Tiffany for all her hard work with that. Great stuff there. And uh, Liz tells us, our wonderful producer, Liz, uh, that uh, several of you have have requested information about the upcoming meetup this year. Our big meetup this year is in Oshkosh or at Oshkosh, the EAA Air Venture 2019 in July. Let me tell you about all of the information we have so far. Where's the cricket sound? Let's see. There you go. So the plan is for many of us, if not all of us, to be there the entire week or something close to it. And we are going to be renting a very nice motorhome and driving it up from the Chicago area. And we're going to hopefully be in a nice spot in the RV spots in the uh, campground. And if you happen to have any inside information regarding that, let us know so that we can make sure that we secure a nice spot. And Hey, I think, um, Brian Coleman, um, Pasadena, Brian said that he was thinking about doing the same thing. And so, uh, you know, contact Pasadena, Brian to, uh, you know, see if you want to, uh, team up with him and others to also rent a, uh, that's a nice looking quesadilla you have there. Uh, <laughs> big guy, <laughs> Uh, for you audio folks, um, I'm watching Captain Nick with his quesadilla and he's putting it in the, in the video frame and distracting and me. Think, oh, it's so good. Oh, good. And I'm I think it's 18.9 inches long. Well, <laughs> very nice. very it's nice. quesadilla. <laughs> it's not the biggest I've seen, but it's not bad. Yeah. Okay. That's it's wrapped in a sock though. <laughs> so <laughs> let's keep it, keep it on track here. Keep it on track. Okay. All right. Um, as soon as we have more information, we'll let you know. But uh, I, it's my understanding that I can't secure a spot at this this camping ground. The uh, what do they call these improved sites? I think for the RVs until like June twenty eighth or something like that, the end of June. So we're I'm going to be on the phone dialing frantically to make sure that we get a good spot, and then uh, once we do, we'll let everybody know. And if you all are thinking about doing the camping thing as well, uh, try to get a spot near us because we're going to have a great, this is going to be our headquarters um, at the uh, campground. I think it's a camp Schuler, I think where the RVs are. And I don't know, I've never done it before. So it's going to be a great adventure. We're going to be there. I'm going to be there for the whole thing. I think until maybe, you know, Friday or Saturday or whatever of that week. So a lot of folks that are listening to the show go every year and they're experts 
And uh, most of us here on the APG crew are kind of newbies to this whole Oshkosh thing. So you're going to have to hold our hands, be gentle with us, and show us around. We're counting on you. All right. Sounds perfect. Yeah, so we really don't. (laughs) So the bottom line is we don't really have much to say, except that we plan on being there. And we plan mm-hmm. on it being Drinking a lot. What, yes, we're probably going to have a lot to drink and we're going to have a, it's going to be a one big party basically. And I need the APG community to start praying for me, please. please. Pray for Dana. Well, we do all Pray the time. For his time schedule. For his oh, schedule. schedule. Oh, okay. Yes. yes time <laughs> off. All right. And it's this event that has prompted me to retire early so I can be sure to be there. <laughs> Look at that. I mean, that's so important. That he's yep. actually cutting his retirement. I mean, his, yeah, yeah. I'm cutting my career short. Wow. Just so I can come out. That of just shows you the dedication that Captain Nick has. <laughs> you bet. He is very dedicated. And, Speaking and, of that, and he's you, serious, too. <laughs> you don't know the date of your last trip yet, do you, sir? No, I don't. Uh, I went there for a, a wee while, that's for sure, because uh, uh, no guarantees uh, You know that there will be the trip I want available in the period I want until we get quite close. Come on, you're retiring. Don't they give you like priority over choosing what you want to do? Yeah, but uh, I want a two-night Atlanta, and they're as rare as um, hen's teeth. Hmm. Well, we're hoping, pray. Let's pray for that, too. Come on. We're praying praying for that Mm because, Nick, I I took uh, vacation. I couldn't get it in July, so unfortunately that didn't work out. So I took it in May with hopes that, if I have enough notice that I can either move my vacation or I get really lucky and you happen to be traveling over the time I'm going to. Well, I, I can give you an idea. It's, it's going to be in the middle. So, uh, well, guess, middle what, guess when, May. guess when I'm on vacation in the middle of May. Brilliant. Middle of May. Oh, great. Guess what? I have two kids graduating from college in. <laughs> mm. Oh, Jeff. I might just I, show up on some other trip of yours unannounced. I, I'm going to say, so I'm going to tell Linda, I can't make it to my kid's graduation. Why? Uh, because Captain Nick is retiring. I'm sorry, kids. I'd like to be at your college graduation, but sacrifices for the job. What can I say? <laughs> That's right. And Captain Al, uh, yes, yeah. this thing does have a shower. It has. It's a very nice vehicle. It's yeah. got like three big screen TVs and a full size refrigerator, and it's it's a very nice. Thing. In, nice. Any luck, I'll be cooking for everybody. Don't yes, yes. and don't let Captain L in the because uh, we don't want don't, to lose don't our don't deposit. Let him use the toilet, that's for sure. <laughs> He'll blow the thing for up. Weeks. <laughs> okay, especially with eighteen point nine inches. <laughs> wow, is that the sh- uh, never mind? Um, I, I don't think so. No. No. I would not. No. No, okay, not I think we'll 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 stop that reference from here on out. Um, Let's see. What else? Just talking about Nick's space between his. Hmm. Oh, good. It's probably something, about something the same. Like that. I was going to mention uh, RVRs and ATIS, but actually I've directed that question to um, uh, opposing bases. bases. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because I've discovered that uh, everywhere else uh, IKO say that there should be RVRs in the ATIS. Uh, and I'm not sure about America. I don't think you guys do. I think you're. Uh, you don't. We're a bunch but, of cowboys here in America. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just because the rest of the world does it. I exactly mean, right. Yeah. We, why we why did, should we? We did adopt something that is IKO standard. 
remember it used to be position and hold. Now it's line up and wait. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's well done, guys. Congratulations. I like position and hold <laughs> much better. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Wait. What am I waiting for? Moving on. Uh, let's see. There. That's all I had in my notes for administrative stuff. So. That means we keep on moving on and we keep on moving on, moving on. And uh, it's time for this. Johnny, how much more coffee? No, thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the job and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Ah, the Java Jive. Thank you, Jeff Smith, for singing that for us. Uh, we're talking about the Coffee Fund, which is your way to support the show financially, if you have the financial resources to do so. If you do, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee, and you can find out the couple of different ways that you can participate in the Coffee Fund, be part of the Coffee Fund cadre, and get those periodic crew logs that we put out there. Uh, since the last show, we have a couple new producers via Patreon, patreon.com slash airline pilot guy, Dan Renner, and the trio of Teresa, Craig, and Forrest Messerman. Uh, they are both new producers, patrons of our show. Thank you very much for signing up on Patreon. Uh, the other way to do it is via the Classic Fund, which is via PayPal, uh, one-time donation or recurring donation, if you'd like. And uh, no contributors this week from that source, but that's okay because this is a free show. We do it out of love for aviation, but hey, if you want to help us out because we do have costs, we do appreciate it. Again, airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. Thank you very much for your generous contributions. Stand by for news. We'll start off with the first item in our news folder, and this is an update from the Lion Air crash, the flight that crashed off the coast of Jakarta in October. Uh, they have been searching for the cockpit voice recorder for some time, and we even talked about it on the last show, the fact that the uh, airline had stopped looking, but the, uh, Indo uh, the Indonesian investigatory agency uh, started up, and they found it. And it was like in 28 meter, no, eight meters or 26 feet uh, under the mud on the uh, sea floor. And that's good news. The voice recorder will hopefully find or have, if they can extract the data from it, some clues as to what happened in that cockpit and what ultimately caused the demise of that flight. Moving on to <laughs> sorry i mean it about summed it up oh, I, I don't have it yeah well, oh now you want to say, say something i mean what else well, you say? Uh, all right we, we were 
<laughs> Waiting it, was your it was so nice because I wasn't <laughs> getting interrupted or anything because I had your, your, your slider thing down. I just thought it was classic that uh, this cheapskate airline, now perhaps I'm being a bit mean, uh, but this airline, which has, does not have a great reputation, gave up. And within just, you know, a few days uh, that in Indonesian authorities found it. So uh, I find that just... I don't know, perhaps I'm being a bit suspicious, but I find that unusual. It is interesting timing, that's for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not saying, not saying anything. Not, not, not implying anything. anything. No, 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 no. We're not, not implying anything at all. Just no, not me. Not very, no, curious. Yeah, very curious. Very curious. Curious <laughs> timing. Yeah. So, as I said, I didn't really get to hear your comments since I had your volume down. <laughs> um, <laughs> do uh, so. You all agree that's a good thing that we have this uh, voice recorder and we'll be able to hopefully learn something? Oh, absolutely. I concur. It's going to give us hopefully a lot of information as long as it's information on the voice recorder that's still salvageable. Is that the proper way to say that word? Uh, You know, because it could be damaged and not usable at all. So it does kind of of bring to mind the, uh, the suggestion that we should actually by now be live streaming data from aircraft and not relying on a recording device. Uh, I, I know it's early days for that kind of technology because uh, the amount of um, bandwidth you need is pretty big. But I would really like to see uh, data from the aircraft being live streamed and not having to rely on digging around in meters of mud and, and in the case of the Malaysian 777, never finding uh, the data recorders, uh, which I think in this day and age is, is wrong, very wrong. I, th- I think that's going to happen. You know, that's just a, a sure thing, I think. Yeah. And now I'm coming to retirement. I think it's a brilliant idea. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Now that you're not going to be here recorded. Yeah. Exactly. And then you're going yeah. to support having live video recording on. Yeah. The I can't wait to, to get live video recording of Dana's cockpit <laughs> on, uh, on some website. <laughs> Dana watching so in, the Patriots game. Yeah, so in my retirement, I can I can monitor what's happening on Dana's cockpit. You know, it's a brilliant idea. I still don't get how you can text. Uh, all right. Um, moving on with item know, B. You, you use your phone and text when you're in the toilet. <laughs> okay. Um, Mississauga. Mississauga. Mississauga, Toronto suburb. Family seeks answers after a huge chunk of ice crashes through roof. Carmela Cacavo was sound asleep inside her Mississauga home when was startled awake by a loud crash at around 6.30 a.m. Wednesday. Initially, she assumed it was a common culprit of suburban mischief, raccoons. But upon further inspection, she discovered a bowling ball. Yeah, blah, blah. A bowling ball. Bowling ball. (laughs) (laughs) But after further inspection, she discovered a bowling ball sized chunk of ice had blasted through the roof of her bedroom closet just meters from where she was sleeping. The noise was enormous, she said on Wednesday. I saw this big piece of ice and all the insulation. I started to panic. I was lucky. It could have hit me on the head. Once the shock wore off, the family was faced with daunting and costly repairs, and they wanted answers. The logical conclusion was that the ice had fallen from a plane. The family home at whatever this address 
uh, was 25 kilometers from Pearson International Airport, the Toronto International Airport. Maybe the airplane wasn't cleaned properly, mused Kagafo's son, yeah, Michael. Those dirty airplanes. Yeah, it's got to be a dirty airplane. Um, Michael said he called Pearson but didn't get any answers. In the end, they said they couldn't really do much. They said they couldn't find who was in the air, and there were so many airports in the area. In the end, they just said to contact the insurance and have them deal with it and leave us alone, which is not satisfactory. Uh, they ended up getting one of the little buttons to push. What is that called? What is that called? Air report or whatever. Oh uh, yeah, one of the uh, the like Amazon. Yeah, we call dash, dash buttons. Yeah, dash talked buttons. about it last they're show. Annoying. That's what they call. <laughs> so of course, you know, it probably did come from a plane. Uh, it's really going to be hard to identify which plane. And um, I'm surmising that what had happened is we have you know, water drains, drain masts on the bottom side of the fuselage that are heated so that when water is drained from these, uh, it doesn't ice up. It's possible that the uh, drain mast heater malfunctioned and maybe even a slow drip of water building up over time can form a big ball of ice. And then as the airplane descends for arrival into Pearson International, the Air is getting warmer and warmer, and guess what? This big ball of ice is going to detach, and it's going to land on somebody's house, apparently. So that's what I guess. Probably just a regular drinking water, not a you know, it wasn't blue ice, so I don't think it came from. Yeah, a, it'll be it'll be gray water from the sinks, yeah. sink drains, probably, which right. is normally to dribble overboard. Um, in uh, Japan, uh, going into Narita, mm-hmm. uh, you have to lay your undercarriage uh, before 14 miles on the ILS show. if you're landing on the northerly runway. And this is because of falling ice. So um, I, I suspect in the past, someone put the gear down, a lump of ice, it either shook a lump of ice off the airplane or a lump of ice fell from the gear. Uh, and did some damage or might even have hurt someone, but I've no idea what the incident was. But from then on, there's been a procedure. So if you're making an approach, you've got to lower the gear over the sea so that there's no chance of falling ice, pardon me, hitting someone. Hmm. Very interesting. Mm. Yeah, we've talked about that a couple times in the past, I think. Yes. Oh, am I repeating myself? No, but it's okay. I, I recall. <laughs> I wouldn't have heard it anywhere else. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out, Steph. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Captain Nick, again? Yeah, again. Um, We've heard that one before, Captain Over Nick. and over and over. <laughs> yeah, no, will no, he, but it, it is worth bringing will up. Will he start with the, with the Narita ice uh, story? I didn't, I didn't mean it that way. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Leave the old man alone. He's six, He's almost 65 years old. Denial. Yeah, that's right, yeah. He's yeah. also only been up for what? You're close to 20 hours now, Nick. Are you not? Yeah, at least. Yeah, 20 hours he's been up. You're, you're functioning far better than... <laughs> I think I'm functioning. I think <laughs> He's functioning I'm far better. better than I'm functioning <laughs> yeah. as well. So, well, I'm I'm drunk as much as you lot. So, has anybody considered the the I don't know the uh, the possibility that don't they have like Bigfoot up there? Mm, like a you know, yeti or uh, like a what, what, no? I think that's in Sasquatch. Yeah, Sasquatch. Sasquatch. I mean, like York, throwing throwing ice balls and stuff. I mean. You can't rule that balls? out. No, just ice balls. 
I don't know. Just something to think about. I mean, don't. I think it could be the the gods. Yeah, could be of ancient gods. You know, throwing ice balls around. That's another possibility. Anything's or there could possible. be a superhero out there. Which one is it that can create ice? Um, don't I don't know. know. Um, there is one. Yeah, well, that, there is. Um, can't think. The Incredibles. The Incredibles. He was in the Incredibles. <laughs> okay. He could make ice. It could have been him. Ah, okay. Ice man. Yeah, must be ice. Super no, no, that's hero. Top Gun. Ice, ice baby. <laughs> okay, moving on. Item C in the uh, news folder. Flybee rescued by Virgin and Stobart. Flybee is being bought for 2.2 million pounds by a consortium, including Virgin Atlantic and Stobart Group. It will operate under the Virgin Atlantic brand, marking a return by Virgin to domestic flights following a failed attempt five years ago. Based in Exeter, Flyby, Flybee carries around 8 million passengers, passengers a year from airports such as Southampton, Cardiff, and Aberdeen to the UK and Europe. The deal needs shareholder approval, but is already backed by the board. So, you know, if you're flying for your sister airline, Virgin Atlantic, it's it was it would be possible for you to be a domestic pilot, Captain Nick, right? Or not? Or- yeah, you've got a domestic uh- What's the word? You've got to domesticate me first. Domesticate, oh, yes. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm undomesticated. Beyond domestication. Yes, I am. I, I'm going to be wild and free forever. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a nice thought. <laughs> so the, this is actually an interesting one. Stobart, by the way, is a uh, you know a bunch of an organization that does uh, transport through lorries. And their Stobart lorries are quite a thing. Because um, they've all got individual names, and people actually go around collecting the names, like you know, train spotting. People actually spot uh, Stobart lorries in the UK, uh, which is kind of a bit funny and a bit weird, but uh, that's life. Um, and they have, uh, excuse me, put my elbow in my quesadilla. They have a, uh, a branch that has taken off into aviation, so that's uh, kind of good from that point of view. Uh, I've got a feeling that um, this is done possibly m- more towards gaining some slots than it is to actually own the airline. Uh-huh. But you never know, it might work. Um, and I did love the suggestion that it was now going to be called a Fly V. So I thought that was a, uh, a fly good name v? for it, rather than Fly B. B, B, V, Victor. Oh, Fly V. V for Virgin. Ah, yeah. gotcha. Fly V. Gotcha. Anyway, interesting. We'll see. Okay. Um, for those of you out there listening who are not from UK or Europe, what is a lorry? A lorry? <laughs> a I know lorry? what it is, but I'm saying oh. that there might be some people out there going, what are they talking about? What is a lorry? Like me. Uh, it's a truck. Thank you. Like Big an truck. Like an 18-wheeler or whatever. Yeah. I didn't even like notice as he said that. Well, I know I didn't either, but I'm thinking just like I'm trying to put myself in the, you know, the shoes of people that haven't traveled around the world and don't. I think it's only the American listeners. listeners Yeah, okay, familiar with. (laughs) I I think that probably forms a very large part. Yes, the majority of the people that listen to the show are (laughs) Americans. Probably have no idea what a lorry is. Exactly right. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Thank you. All right, moving on. D. Uh, Moscow 
Oh, wait a minute. Hang on. I gotta get this ready here so I don't make a fool out of myself pronouncing this. Damodedova. That airport um, buys an armored vehicle. The uh, Moscow is the first airport in Russia and possibly the world to acquire a former military tank for use in aircraft emergencies. Developed from the chassis of the T-72 main battle tank, long a stalwart of the Russian army, the Brem-1, B-R-E-M-1, was originally designed to recover disabled armored vehicles from the battlefield, and with a towing capacity of 125 tons, that's pretty impressive, it will now be tasked with evacuating any size aircraft in an emergency, including unplanned runway departures. With its treads, the 41-ton vehicle can move on any surface, and it comes equipped with a circle swing crane that can lift up to 12 tons, as well as metal cutting equipment. The demilitarized vehicle is produced by the Uralvagunzavod Corporation. Say that three Ding. times quickly. Thank you. A subsidiary of Russian state-owned Rostec. According to the company, the armored vehicle will soon be a common sight in Russia, as it noted the transport ministry has mandated its use at all of the country's airports. It's a pretty good idea, isn't it? Kind of repurpose. These things. So they're repurposed. Okay. Yeah. I think. They I don't think they're brand new, are they? Maybe they are. I don't know. Well, I, don't know. I wasn't clear from the article. They, they, they named T72 because that's when they were built. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. 1772? <laughs> uh, probably. Yeah. Yeah, likely. Well, they're very impressive looking, I think. Um, especially painted in this bright orange and black color they look pretty it impressive. kind of reminds me of the original um airport movie was it yeah where they've got mm-hmm. this guy stuck in the snow and they've got this line of bulldozers waiting to slam it off and shove it off the runway and uh this guy with the cigar in his mouth he's struggling with the throttles trying to get this thing to move and the, the, all these uh bulldozers start bearing down on the airplane it's 707 as i recall and then the wings fall off. No, well, you know, no. we can't have these <laughs> airplanes that have, you know, are clogging up the runways, you know. Yeah, I know. You get all these gash all Hinder the operations. Just, so this is for, yeah. uh, do they have a, commonly have problems with aircraft that have departed runway? Every day stuff. Every day. In need of towing off of? Yes. In, in Russia, apparently it's quite common. <laughs> okay. Just checking. Just checking. What I'm really having a hard time here swallowing is, the 125 tons, it will now be tasked with evacuating any size aircraft in an emergency. I think they mean removing it from wherever the aircraft is not supposed to be. It was written oddly as well. I was imagining it initially like digging into the aircraft, like, you know, cutting it open like Jaws of Life style. And I don't still yeah, I can think pictures this content. airplane on fire and something off the me so that they can land another airplane. Really? That's what it kind of sounds That's like exactly what it is. Sure. Move it move it away. Push it off. Push it off. Move Get it out of the way. Nothing to see here. We get more important things to do here. Yes. <laughs> Air commerce. So confused about what happens in Russia. And it's coming to an airport near you. In Russia. Absolutely. Or anywhere. I, very nice color, don't you think? I, I, think I, I do like the, I do the, like the color scheme. It's a good looking tank, I think. 
<sighs> Chinese airplane. No, oh, no, 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 no. Chinese airline pilot grounded for seating wife in cockpit. Hmm. Uh, the, the headline unseemly behavior of pilots and passengers alike continue to cast a negative light on flying in China. A pilot with Shenzhen based Bonghai airlines. How do I do? I like the the Chinese accent. <laughs> I, I, I personally say Shenzhen, but Shenzhen based Donghai. Donghai Airlines. Well, you can if you're listening from China, you can direct all yeah. of your complaints to, to Liz at airlinepilotguy.com. <laughs> Has been fined twelve thousand yuan, which is U.S. one thousand seven hundred and fifty six dollars, and grounded for six months pending further disciplinary action after he seated his wife in the cockpit of a Boeing seven thirty seven jet on a flight that he commanded. Uh, this pilot Chen Guosheng 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 piloted flight. 6286 from Nanpong in eastern Jiangsu province to Lanshu, Lanshu. <laughs> Langzhou. From one place in Langzhou. some Langzhou. province to another with this. <laughs> province. And the connecting flight Yangtze. from this place to Beijing. During the journey, he reportedly allowed his wife, surnamed Wang, onto the flight deck on three occasions. <laughs> Shen. Yeah, I need to turn his volume down. Uh, Shen was said to have ignored the strong dissenting views of fellow crew members and insisted on letting his wife into the cockpit. Two co-pilots, a chief attendant and a security officer on board the flight, also faced fines and were served warnings for their failure to resolutely stop the severe violations. The airline said, mean. "Yeah, the carrier apologized to passengers and pledged to review safety protocols and procedures for all its staff. However." This only happened after China's Civil Aviation Administration stepped in and made public the safety breach, which soon aroused anger in the media. Some Internet commentators opined, however, that the senior flight purser should be rewarded rather than punished because she confronted a senior officer. Before long, other professional violations by Chen, this captain, came to light. On at least two separate occasions, he decided to initiate departure, even though the actual passenger headcount on board was different from the flight manifest. Anyway, it goes on to talk about the misgivings, or not misgivings, but the uh, violations from or by this captain. And yeah, I think that uh, there's really not much to say after this. Yeah, that's that's kind of not allowed, is it? Um, no, apparently, no. It, I don't think it's allowed anywhere, is it? Not uh, I mean, maybe I'm going to reserve ju- uh, opinion there because uh, I know that some countries were still allowing uh, family members and trusted people to be on the flight deck uh, after nine eleven, and those big restrictions came in. Of course, they hit uh, U.S. carriers mainly, and carriers going to the U.S., but if you were, say, a South African airline flying nowhere near the U.S., I think you you stuck with your own rules. It wasn't an international thing. So, And what's up with um, the tradition of the Chinese people throwing coins into engines? <laughs> well, I think it's just throwing, not just into engines, but throwing coins into, like, ponds or for... Um, I think sometimes that happens at does happen like religious sites. Um, that's like a, an offering. Yeah. But 
it's not a good idea well, to do it. Somewhere there, there's a disconnect between yeah. what would happen with coins inside of an engine. Not really quite understanding technology. Lack, lacking the uh, sufficient uh, yeah. knowledge of what would happen there. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we talked about one of I don't these think incidents. they're doing it because, yeah, I don't think they're doing it with malicious intent. No, no, certainly. I think they think they're doing it's the right thing. thing. Yeah. Protecting everybody. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, just like rhino horns don't cure anything. Well, we're not going to have that argument here. No, we're not. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, obviously not. But um, we talked about an in- incident. In- we talked about an incident. What was it last year uh, regarding the old lady that threw the to- coins? I don't know. Yeah, uh, it was sometime six, yeah. 12 months ago. Yeah. Uh, and apparently it's happened again. Maybe it happens pretty commonly. I don't know. Anyway, that really has nothing to do with... Uh, Captain Chen and his wife, but Wang. Yeah. Wang. All right. (laughs) Update crash PIA AT 42 near Havalian Havalian on December 7th, 2016 engine failure. This happened well more than two years ago. Um, This was in the aviation Herald and apparently the final report from the Pakistani Aviation Investigatory Agency has come out. And basically this flight, an ATR-42, uh, or an AT-42, that's, no, it is an ATR-42-500, was flying from a place in Pakistan to another place in Pakistan with 42 passengers and six crew. They reported the failure of the left-hand engine, Pratt & Whitney 127 Echo. The crew shut down the engine and continued towards Islamabad, Descending sometime later declared mayday shortly afterwards radio and radar contact was lost with the aircraft and it crashed. Um, I'm not sure, you know, they talk about in this accident report, you know, what, why the engine failed and it was a, some kind of a turbine blade uh, was just past the mandatory 10,000 hour inspection. It was overdue and had they had this engine in for inspection slash change, they probably would have discovered this uh, flaw and, re- and repaired it and not have the engine failure. But apparently this uh, turbine blade failure caused an imbalance in the engine and caused the propeller on that engine to kind of go out of control. So they lost the engine. But is it just me? They, they don't say anything at all in the report about why the crew could not fly the airplane with one engine and somehow lost control of the airplane and crashed. And you would think that that would be something that it would cover in an accident report. Am I wrong? No, you're not you wrong at all. Right. You think they definitely would. should be something that's, uh, that, you know, it, it, losing an engine is no big thing mm-hmm. or shouldn't be shouldn't because be. it's one of the things we train for so regularly that it should be second nature to us flying an airplane around on one engine. No, it's, it's an emergency, don't get me wrong. Uh, because if you lose that engine, then you're in very serious doo-doo. But um, no, uh, we all know that we should be capable of flying the aircraft around on one engine. So now, it, did, yeah. it was you know high terrain in that area. Perhaps they got uh, disoriented and uh, weren't aware of their situation and weren't aware of the high terrain and just was one of the controlled flight into terrain kind of 
incidents. It, it could be. I don't know what uh, escape profiles they had uh, if they were amongst high terrain because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you're flying a, a twin-engine airplane, you have to, if you lose an engine, you have to have uh, some way of getting away from the high terrain because obviously you're going to descend. Uh, and if you don't have that sort of stuff squared away, then uh, it's very easy to find yourself, uh, and, you know, descending below the level of the uh, surrounding hills and ending up stuck. We have some breaking news. Uh, conversation in the chat room. Um, I should have been pronouncing this turbine, apparently, uh, not turban, because turban are um, headgear from certain Indian and Pakistani countries. Uh, thank you, Captain Al, for pointing that out. So we need to get above that 50% level again. Well, so that's a, a turbine that's a, blade. That's a good job. I, I was wearing a turbine on my head and now i realize it was just a turban (laughs) i've made that mistake so many times i I do apologize okay anybody else want to chime in with this accident good no No, i think you guys covered it pretty well i I mean the only thing i was wondering because i did i actually just clicked out of the uh article by mistake but i think it, it if i recall correctly um whatever happened with the engine caused it to lose one of the, the blades. Yeah. It affected the, the number so, one propeller blade. I don't know if that's the number one engine, the entire propeller. You like that? Or just, like that. just the one propeller. Just, just one blade. Right? No. Well, I was just wondering what else that might've disrupted in the, the course of that happening too, if there were other that's failures to contend with. But I guess the point is, tell us what, why? I know, I know. It's, it's lacking a whole lot of information yeah. there, but just something I was wondering about. Yeah, anyway. I don't know. Because that uh, we talked about a C-130 crash where they had some kind of an incident with an engine and one of the propellers kind of broke loose. And then that caused all kinds of havoc with mm-hmm. the engine and other engines. And basically the airplane came apart in the air, crashed in Mississippi. Yeah, not much they could yeah. do about that. Yeah, and and what they don't mention here is, uh, you know, the local time was, you know, roughly four o'clock in the afternoon. Imagine at that point it was probably daytime, Mm -hmm. and they don't mention what weather conditions were, unless I'm missing it somewhere. Yeah, I don't. Um, I'm not sure if yeah, if it was if the terrain was obscured or or, yeah, exactly. So I don't know that 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 would play a factor into you know whether they saw the cumulogranite or cumulonimbus. I mean, right. And what, what, what were you looking at? So that, that could play a, a factor into this as well. But, you know, it's not the first time that we've seen on the show. We've talked about incidents where engine failures have occurred and then inexplicably the airplane crashes. And I'm thinking, well, aren't the airplanes certificated to fly with one engine? And aren't we all trained to fly airplanes with one engine? I mean, that's basically what we do every time we get into the simulator. Um, and so I'm just wondering, you know, how is it that we lose so many airplanes when this occurs? You know, it's just baffling because me. I, th- I think what it is is because people, you know, we, we put a, a bucket around what is a no time in a, in a, you know, you've got plenty of time type of an emergency. And, you know, you take people in the way they react um, with an engine failure. You know, they may be overreacting, you know, sit on your hands, wind your clock. Think about what you're doing and do it properly. 
you know, light up a cigarette, as uh, yeah, light up a cigarette. Captain like, Anderson's like, father said, would yeah, and Captain Anderson's father would do. Um, but you know, there there are some no no kidding. You know, you have no time. Let's get this thing back on the ground. Type of emergencies, fire, of course, but an engine failure really should not be as as we all alluded to at this point that it should not be a big deal. So, um, it, you know, it, it, if if you lose the other engine, well, now it's a big deal. But you know, a single engine airplane is fully controllable, and and you know, it's a turboprop airplane. Mm-hmm. So this, you know, it 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 should not have been. A, a major issue unless of course what they were looking at was obscured so that's that's really what's kind of baffling me here yep i agree item g bmi e145 at bristol on december 22nd 2017 runway excursion on landing again this from the uh, aviation herald um a bmi regional Embraer erj 145 performing flight 1822 from frankfurt Main or Maine, germany to bristol in the uk and they went out the runway and came to a stop within the runway protected area with all gear on soft ground um, on january 10th 2019 the aaib released their bulletin concluding the probable causes of the accident were the accident arose as a result of the inadvertent selection of the emergency slash parking brake instead of the speed brake. The levers are the levers are of similar shape and sided close to each other, but with a different appearance and mode of action. There's also a brake on indicator light. These risk controls provided are proved ineffective in preventing the inadvertent selection of the emergency parking brake both on this occasion and on at least two previous occasions. Once the parking brake had been set, there were opportunities to detect and correct the error, but a busy flight deck environment together with a high workload contributed to it going unnoticed. After touchdown, the aircraft may have remained on the runway surface, but for the addition of forward thrust during the landing roll. The manufacturer stated that it did not intend to conduct a system review relating to the parking brake status. So the, uh, Air Accident Investigation Branch reported the left-hand seat was occupied by a captain under training. New to both the operator and the aircraft type, the trainee was pilot flying. Uh, The right-hand seat was occupied by a training captain who was also commander of the flight and assumed the role as pilot monitoring. The crew performed an ILS Cat 2 approach to Bristol's runway 27 while descending through flight level 140. ATC advised they had 30 track miles to go. Weather this was sufficient to descend, the crew accepted. The trainee decided to use the speed brakes to lose altitude and announced, speed brake coming on. However, on the flight data recorder, no speed brake deployment was recorded. Hmm. After two minutes later, or after two minutes, while the crew conducted a radio altimeter test interrupting their communications for about two minutes, the commander commented deploying the speed brakes and using speed mode would be the quickest way to descend. The trainee acknowledged and responded that they, the speed brakes, were already open. However, the commander just responded to an ATC call and did not notice the trainee's reply. Okay, so obviously the trainee thinks that he's extending the speed brakes, but he has actually set the parking brake. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what happened here. They landed with this. The, you know the problem with this flight? 
there was no first officer to keep an eye on the two, <laughs> two captains. captains. <laughs> that seems <laughs> that is so true. Uh, good point. Um, you know, and, and honestly, Jeff, I <clears throat> not not that I'm conscientious of it, but I'm actually very nervous about that. That's one of the things that worries me. Is as a new captain, I'm always in flight checking. You know how we feel the handle. You know the brake handle. Right, so when it's set, it it has a springiness to it, and it will pop up and down. So even in flight, I always make sure that that is down. I don't know why I do it, but it's just a subconscious thing because obviously you can't take the airplane off the ground with with the parking brake set. Right, it, it's just a subconscious. I just do it to make sure it's not set before we land. Right, and I I like to uh, in flight just you know pull the reverse. Le- levers. Oh, up that, no, that I'm just would, kidding. That, that would talk me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just nervous. No, you don't do just that. Just like a, a fidgety thing. Yeah. And yeah. when it happens, man, it really makes a racket. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what, it is an over-center link that's supposed to clo- keep those reverses closed. I'm just those kidding. <laughs> um, Get that man a fidget spinner. Wait, we talked about an, right. an incident. I've got it right here. See? I'll just drink my beer. That'll be my fidget thing. Um, <laughs> We talked about on the last episode uh, an incident where um, in Mexico, I think, they mm-hmm. landed and everybody thinks that it was because the parking brakes were set. So, yeah, and it was another case of someone just kind of doing uh, like whatever the does. mechanism was. <laughs> I'm not going to say the word, but yeah, messing with it. Yeah, in flight. Yeah. Oh come on! Someone, what would someone you say? fiddling? Doesn't say fidgeting. <laughs> fidgeting. Uh, uh, either that or the um, anti-skid didn't work. But yeah, uh, yeah this is classic case of uh, you know two guys there who ought to be really uh, quite on top of the their game because you've got a captain there who uh, and a training captain. Um, both working together and um you know it's they just did something very silly and didn't spot it till it was too late and allowing other things happening in the cockpit um distract them from yeah you know absolutely uh, understanding what was happening there yeah hmm. all right and the last item in our news folder this is a strange one um let's see timothy guan makes an initial court appearance after his arrest on suspicion of causing a flood at the Glendale airport in Arizona. Uh, He was arrested on suspicion of flooding the first floor of the Glendale municipal airport in Glendale, Arizona. Timothy Tan Juan 23 is said to be responsible for $70,000 worth of damage to the airport Glendale police say airport security cameras clearly show Guan using a hammer to break windows, dragging a hose into the airport, turning on the water, and flooding the airport. The airport houses a flight school for training future pilots and is equipped with flight simulators. After the incident on Friday, the terminal and all the programs inside were shut down for 24 hours to let the interior dry. Um... I don't know. Um, not sure if they said mm-hmm. uh, said in the article if this guy is was part like a student at the flight school or just some kind of a nut. Well, what was it? 
he was previously arrested for uh, and charged with egging 24 vehicles. <laughs> Not the first time that this guy's been Not in trouble. Not the first time he's been in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a mischief maker. Huh? I love the, uh, during the yeah. search of Guan's vehicle, police found 600 eggs in the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they're That's here. <laughs> a lot of eggs. We like. You just want to make some scrambled like eggs. omelets. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. So obviously this guy's a little cuckoo. Mm-hmm. I hope that's not offensive to anybody. Hey, cuckoo eggs. <laughs> I apologize to the Germans out there that make cuckoo clocks. Yeah, um, I think that's who does it. <laughs> anyway, very fine pieces of clockwork. All right. And uh, that's it for our news today. Anything else you want? Thank the Lord for that. Yes, I know. It's like Amen. It couldn't have happened sooner. <laughs> okay. Let's move on then with this. Captain, incoming message. I'm having fun, are you? Oh, so far so good. Blast. <laughs> I don't like the way you said that, Dana. Blast. <laughs> All right. Carrie. A fantabulous time. There we go. Carrie. Fan freaking fabulous. Okay. That's good. Carrie. Writes in, K-E-R-R-Y. Uh, How are flight crews kept informed about delays? I would like to relate a recent experience as an example that seems to indicate they aren't the first to know. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah okay. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I think we're aware of that. We're the last to know, usually. Yeah, exactly. We're like mushrooms. <laughs> kept in the dark and yeah. fed on... Kept, kept in the dark. Manure. <laughs> yes. Okay. While boarding an Acme MD90, this is getting personal here, in the backwoods, explained later, of Charlotte, North Carolina. Ooh. Really Ooh. personal. Yeah. Bound mm-hmm. for Minneapolis, St. Paul, I noticed a maintenance guy standing in the jetway. That's never a good sign. After the in uh, after the engine, after the plane was boarded, there was a lot of activity in the cockpit with two maintenance guys. After the aircraft was loaded, the pilot said they had an issue with the navigation equipment, which I'm guessing was the sextant. Oh, ouch. Oh, that hurts. Wow. Carrie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, okay. Uh, you know what? Liz. Bam. Carrie. Carrie. Yeah, done. Carrie's done. All right, let's move on to the Sorry. second item in the uh, feedback from Kevin. No, I'm just kidding. We'll keep, we'll continue. We're, we're going to let it go this time, Carrie. Char- charity this time. Yeah. Charitable. All right. Resuming his feedback. Updates on progress were provided periodically with different things they were replacing and trying. After about an hour of this, the pilot said that they had one more thing to try before a new part had to be flown in. Prior to boarding, I had noticed the the end number on FlightAware. When the pilot prepped us for possibly having to deplane, my wife checked the Acme app, which showed our departure being three hours later than the original one. When I checked FlightAware, it showed our flight having an MD-90 with a different... N number, which is a registration number. Digging deeper in FlightAware, I was able to find Acme Flight 9937 with that N number departing Acme HQ for um, bound for Charlotte in the next hour. Shortly after this, the senior gate agent made an announcement that a rescue flight was being made to get us to our destination. She used the term rescue throughout the four-hour delay which is rather humorous since it wasn't like we were forced down in some remote region of the world. Oh, the bat backwards region of Charlotte, North Carolina. Exactly. I don't know. They recently, Dana, they've, they've been using this term rescue flight. I don't remember it before, you know, this last 
year. Uh, never heard of this term rescue flight, but I've, I've heard it now a few times in the last several months. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, I actually have not heard that term I, at all. Yeah. The, the one we went up to, uh, well, I, I did one that we flew up to, uh, Syracuse, um, to give them a good airplane while we waited for the airplane up there to get fixed and come back. But we were, they termed, it wasn't an official term, but everybody was referring to us as a rescue flight. Oh yeah. And I'm thinking, hmm, uh, okay. Might, might have everything to do with completion factor. Uh, could be, I don't know. Anyway, resuming his feedback while the problem was being trouble shoot hmm. shot. Yeah. While the problem was being troubleshooted or sh- trouble shot, uh, the flight crew was the flight crew aware the rescue was being organized. The plane had been identified about an hour after our original departure time before we had it to plane. Actual departure from headquarters was officially at two hours and 10 minutes after our scheduled departure. To close out the story, our flight officially departed four hours late after a few more logistical items not pertinent to the question. Flight crew for our flight were the original two, but the cabin crew was the one one flown in with the rescue plane. He uses quotes there, rescue. The original cabin crew deadheaded out. The broken plane returned to headquarters the same day as Flight 9938, almost seven hours after originally scheduled. It flew a scheduled flight later that night and was again flying a regular schedule. And this is from Carrie in the backwoods of Charlotte. Um, so, I don't know. I'll... I'll, I'll uh, step back and let uh, some of you chime in here what you think might have happened here well you know this is just from personal experience Kerry um, there is uh, scenarios in which we are very well aware of what's going on however in in a rolling it's almost sounds like there's a rolling delay here as to uh, you know trying to troubleshoot the issue um, so you're really coordinating between um, and it really depends a lot on the captain, how active or, or interactive they are trying to get information and, and talking to maintenance, talking to dispatch, uh, talking to local station folks as to, you know, how you're communicating. Now, I personally happen to be, you know, very much like Jeff. I'm very involved trying to, uh, you know, answer questions and uh, come up with the most pertinent information. I'm not afraid to pick up the phone and call, uh, you know, maintenance control or, ma- you know, my dispatcher, figure out, you know, what's going on, where we're going and making those PAs to the passenger. So that, I, you know, I give my hat, hats off to Jeff for training me and, 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 and give me a great example to, to live by because I do that and, and imply that and in, in to use that in a daily operation, which I really um, um, very recently had to uh, use when I was in Baltimore, where I had a very much a, a rolling delay waiting on some parts for anti-ice. I, I talked about that on the last show of the show before that. Uh, so, you know, it, it really is up to the individual um, on how informed they're going to keep their passengers. But in other situations, there are times that we can't get information that we don't have, even though we've made the, our best efforts to go forth and, 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 and coordinate and, and organize and figure out what exactly is going on, what everybody's doing, what, what the company has decided to do. Uh, you know, we're kind of in the dark. So, um, 
it, it's really an individual situation. It's not every situation is exactly the same, just like every decision that we have to make is never exactly the same. We, that's why we're there in that position to make those decisions and try to uh, you know, take the information that we're given and, and give the passengers the best possible uh, information we can give them. We you know, might talk to maintenance and they say, you know, we're going to try this, we're going to try this, we're going to try this. And then it's our job as, as, as uh, you know, as pilot in command to communicate that to our passengers, to communicate that to maybe the local station, airport customer service folks. Um, and then once that's beyond our control, in other words, once they've decided to take everybody off the aircraft, now we're kind of out of the loop, not nearly in the loop as much. And then uh, the airport customer service agents may have better information than we have at that point. So every situation is different. I don't know, Jeff, if you can answer that better than I can, but I, I think, you know, that's my take on it. No, I, you um, answered it very well. Um, and when you work for a very, very large legacy carrier, as we do, with a lot of different departments uh, trying to resolve the problem, a lot of times things are happening and you're not informed uh, about yeah. what's going on. I mean, that was the point I was, I was going to say, it, you know, I don't work for the airlines, obviously, but having worked for large companies, sometimes there's a lot of cogs in the machinery and, you know, they're doing their part to fix whatever the problem is, but the communication can sometimes lag behind a little bit. So um, everyone arrives at the same point eventually, but sometimes not everyone's and it's, uh, it's, informed it's, at the same point. And it, it happens. And it's frustrating for those of us who Very. try to keep the passengers informed and we give the impression that we know what's going on. And then all of a sudden you go, well, nobody told me that they were launching a, uh, that Acme flight 9937, our company uses 99 blah, blah for uh, ferry flights, for rescue flights, for um, uh, charters. And uh, that's kind of a number that's not like a normal scheduled flight, um, training flights even. I don't even, well, I don't think we do training flights anymore. Well, I guess we do now with the uh, A220. They're, they're probably flying yeah. around with flight 99, something or other. Um, but that's just the way we do it. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a little, it's, it's frustrating when something like this happens and we aren't aware of it and, uh, and, and it kind of gives the passengers the idea that, oh, they knew this was going on. They just didn't bother telling us where, when in fact we didn't, we had no and idea. It's, it's one of those things that you can explain as much as you'd like. And sometimes you're not going to change public perception about what's actually happening. That's true. But you do the best you can. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the big thing is, is, is the level of involvement. I mean, there are different people, different philosophies and the amount that they're willing to put forth to make the effort to find out the information and, uh, you know, not every every captain out there is very much like Jeff, myself, or even right. Nick, that, you know, work extra hard to try to figure things out so we can communicate. I had a perfect example this morning coming out of, of uh, Newark where uh, the entire uh, NOTAM and uh, ATIS information uh, system went down at Acme. And so in order to print out the flight plan, which we have to have legally, it wasn't coming through. So, you know, the gate agent is unable to print the flight plan. The flight attendants, well, why are we going to board the flight if we don't know if we're, when we're going to depart? And my response, of course, at that point is, listen, this is where we're at. Uh, we're going to do everything we can do. Let's get the people on board the aircraft because once we get the data, it's going to be just a matter of minutes until we can depart. Well, guess what? We left the gate seven minutes early. 
So, you know, it, it's just a matter of taking the information, using the information that's given to us and uh, applying it in a way that we can go ahead and, and make the operation uh, continue. So, uh, you know, sometimes it is up to the individual. Sometimes, it's as, as Jeff said, we're the, just the cog in the, uh, the big machine, and, and sometimes the information that we get is incorrect. Or if it isn't incorrect, well, then maybe we're spewing lies out of our mouths that we don't intend to. Right. Uh, however, uh, our, our, our true goal is, as, as uh, uh, for the most part, uh, is to get the operation running and being as truthful as we possibly can and uh, being as knowledgeable as we possibly can for most of us, at least. I will say, though, it's amazing how much, um, it, you know, a passenger or member of the public can do to try and investigate some of these, uh, you know, not knowing the true causes of what's causing everything, but to kind of piece together what's going on behind the scenes. Um, if you're a savvy passenger and um, I've done this before. Uh, I've been sitting in the backwoods of Charlotte on an aircraft that had a technical problem. And the only reason I was traveling was to attend a party that was happening several hours later in another city, several hours away. And if the flight was delayed and I missed my connection to get to, to that city, I would miss the whole reason for taking the trip in the first place. And doing just a little bit of research, even without knowing, you know, because it was clear that the flight crew didn't know the the exact timeline of the delay at that point. Um, but doing a little bit of research and being a little bit savvy, I was able to find a, a flight literally across the hall of the terminal that got me to my destination on time. And so where there's a will, there's a way. A smart woman you are. I, I stood up and got off of that flight. <laughs> I said, I have to go. It's unsafe. I'm not going. (laughs) I'm sure. I hope they didn't think that. (laughs) It it happened to be a flight that I had booked on rewards points too. So it didn't matter to me to, to not fly on that particular flight. Yeah. Which was helpful. But honestly, Dana, I mean, you would agree with me. It's would be so much easier just to kind of, when something goes wrong, just like grab your stuff and go like leave the airplane and go down to operations and just to be away from the passengers. And like, I don't have to, this is not my problem. I don't want to deal with it. That would be the easy thing to do. But, um, I think you and captain Nick and I, and a lot of others, you know, feel like, you know, we owe it to you, the passenger to be there, to try to facilitate whatever we can to, you know, get you to where you're going as quickly as we can and to communicate with you as best we can. And, um, I don't know. That's just the way to, to do it, I think. I miss being a first officer. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah, that's when it's easy. You know, Captain, here, you have my number. Just give Captain, me a call. when this... just, just let me know what you need me to do. <laughs> I mean, for, for me today was a classic example of um, trying to work out exactly how long the delay is. We So uh, we've uh, approaching our push time and uh, I'm, no sign of the cargo doors closing and uh, I'm trying to find out what's going on. So five minutes rolls by and I'm uh, calling the traffic office saying uh, on the radio saying, uh, what's the problem? And uh, that's the first I get uh, news of the fact that uh, they're having problems uh, reconciling all the bags. And uh, uh, so uh, in front of me is a big electronic board with my um, estimated off chocks time uh and it advises me uh of um when i can call up for a push and start 
you know, five minutes plus minus or whatever. And uh, and I suddenly look up and it's it's rolled uh, 20 minutes to the right. So, you know, I'm going, oh, hang on a minute, our departure's just been delayed 20 minutes. No one tells me, mm-hmm. but someone's put it into the system and I have mm-hmm. no idea what's Why? going on. Yeah. So my other, my other favorite is as a passenger sitting in the boarding area and you get a communication from the airline, either a text or sometimes it just shows up on my watch, like through the app. It's like your gate changed <laughs> and no one said anything. No one's made an announcement. No, nope. nope. like, it's oh. because we don't know. And, and you you see exactly. like, like yourself and like 10 other people get up and start leaving. And then as you're walking down the, the concourse, you hear it behind you and then everyone else gets up to move. It's great. Yep. I, I find it so frustrating. So the, the one bloke who uh, I can contact if I try really hard is our traffic coordinator, and uh, he should have all the information. But he is the busiest man you've ever seen because he's the one controlling the whole um, nine yards and just trying to get in touch with him to find out what the hell's going on, let alone getting a decent explanation. is almost impossible. I give up at times. I know. I mean, we do the best we can and not all of us put this kind of effort into it as the three of us do, but there are a lot of us out there that do. And even, you know, after all the best efforts we make, sometimes, you know, we still don't know what's going on. As, as Captain Nick said, you know, you look up and you go, Oh, our departure time just changed 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Hello. Would somebody like to tell the captain? Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, so I tell the passengers that, oh, uh, you know, we have a problem reconciling the bags and the departure time has moved. Uh, we should be moving the aircraft in what just a little over 10 minutes, which is what it was by then. And funny old thing, when that time came up, I looked up and bang, it moved another 10 <laughs> minutes. And I'm going, oh, for heaven's sake, you know, stop moving the gold. You're place. making a lot out of me. <laughs> exactly. I've just told the bloody passengers where we're going to go. And now you've made me a liar. And that's ah! when, that's when you see all the tweets from the people. These guys are lying to us. And, that's you know, right. and, and, and we're, no, know we're not talking about. <laughs> It may seem hey, that I'm way. I'm stuck on this aircraft. Can someone help me and tell me what's going yeah. on at, yeah. at Acme? Yeah, you know, at Acme. You suck. <laughs> <laughs> These pilots are lying and then they reply, to their teeth. Yeah, Tweet us your flight information. To. We'll be happy to look into what's going on for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they go, yeah, they really are screwing up. Sorry about that. Let's help, <laughs> let, let us help you out. <laughs> what? Wait a minute. Throw us under so the bus. When social media knows and your pilots don't know, that's when you know you've... <laughs> No, yeah, it's a losing battle. Well, it, it just—it's just a testament to how fast or how quick uh, information can travel mm-hmm. nowadays compared to the information that we we get through snail mail or, or or you know through our you know our communication avenues within the company. It it, it just goes out as soon as a decision's made in our, our operations control center or reservations control center, you know, in our, in our, well, really is the operations control center because everything goes through there. As soon as a decision is made, it's sent out electronically and it's probably minutes, even more than minutes. I mean, we're talking 10, sometimes 10, 15 minutes before we even know on the front line because our method of communication, although we're improving it, I mean, through our, you know, flight communications app that we have now, um, there's other ways that we're, we're, we're improving that through our technology that we carry around with us. Um, but we, you know, we as, 
frontline employees don't necessarily have that information nearly as quick as the passengers do as it's sent to you. And, you know, like you're, you're alluding to Dr. Steph, you, know, you can walk across the hallway and get that flight that is running on time, might have some in, in empty seats and it's going to the same destination because we have hourly service, right? So, you know, that's, that's, that's the advantage of the technology that we have and the disadvantage that makes us look bad in some cases. Yeah. Double-edged sword for sure. Absolutely. Carrie, thank you very much for the uh, stimulating feedback. And I'm sorry that the sextant was broken on the MD-90. Yeah. You, you know where I saw a sextant, an actual sextant recently? In unlikeliest of places. Not in your bedroom. <laughs> no. That would be unusual. <laughs> that would be unusual. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I brought up this conversation. <laughs> Why would you have a sextant in your... I, I, I don't have one, but oh. I did see one. And I'd never actually seen one in person before, so I was excited. I took some pictures of it. It's at the uh, NASCAR Hall of Fame. There's one there. Why? And I forget why. Why? <laughs> why? I know those, no, car, was, those cars are old technology stuff, but I'm pretty not, sure they don't, they don't have to use sextants to navigate. <laughs> I mean, it, it's no, an oval circuit. I mean, what do you, if you just drive around and around it. <laughs> Hold on, let me find the placard on it. I'm sorry I brought this up. This <laughs> me too. <laughs> huge mistake. When did I go there? I can't even remember. Folks, oh, I just want to say up. that. I'm not into NASCAR as much as I used to be. I'm I'm into Formula One and modern oh, technology. Thank yeah. You. Okay. So here, uh, oh, <laughs> low battery. It was a U.S. Army Air Corps sextant, circa 1940. One of the uh, no, one of the drivers was enlisted in the U.S. Army Air Corps, um, and he uh, spent the majority of his World War II service performing various duties on a consolidated B-24 Liberator. Oh, nice. Uh, participated in the Aleutian Islands campaign, series of bombing raids over the Alaska Territory. And the sextant was typical of the era and used for navigational and bombing purposes. Very cool. I was just a little surprised to see it there. Yeah, interesting. Anyway. Would not have expected to see that at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. You never know what you're going to find. You never know. Yeah, it's, it's kind of almost completely irrelevant. But. Yes, which is pretty much most of the stuff that we talk about on the show. <laughs> it was irrelevant, but it was mentioned. And I had never, I, I was. At the NASCAR Hall of Fame, it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant, but I, whatever. It's weird. It, it was, you know. Well, I thought you guys would appreciate it. Turns out that irrelevancy is relevant to us. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. Okay, number two, Kevin. Hello, all. Long-time listener, big fan, and first-time contacting. Thanks for the advice, effort, and information that you put into your podcast. It's been a huge source of encouragement and motivation. Just one question. I would love to one day make a career jump into being a full-time commercial pilot. I'm currently an engineer with my bachelor's in civil engineering and slowly pursuing my private pilot's license. For a long time now, I've considered pursuing a graduate education, which would definitely now be in something aviation slash aeronautics related. But I don't know if it's worth the forty dollars to $70,000 that it will take to complete it. Can you provide any advice as to the pros and cons related to having a master's degree for someone potentially seeking to follow in your footsteps? To give you some background, I'm 35 years old, married, have three young children, so I'm trying to make the most efficient use of my time at this stage in life. Thanks again for all you do. Kevin from Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. Three words of advice from me. Don't do it. I have a question. Yes. Um, 
suppose aside from just being a line pilot, having a, a you know, general, uh, uh, I mean, just like a low life, track. like w- a low, a low life, you know, yeah. what you guys do, yeah. whatever it is. Let's say you wanted to be in, <laughs> in, in <laughs> that came be a management. How I t- yeah. If you want to be in management, if you wanted to do something with higher seniority within the company, does it make any sense to have, cause that's a big topic in, in medicine. So doctors who want to get into management um, and administration often will get their MBAs and things like that because it makes sense. Or even a JD because it's nice to have that business or legal background. I don't know how that applies to the airlines, but that's the only reason I can really think of to pursue graduate education. If you already have a bachelor's degree and you're looking to be a professional pilot. I am not sure, but I would guess that that would be helpful if that's the career track you would want to take. Uh, but just to be a line pilot, as we are, I mean, it would be a complete waste of your time and money, in my opinion. What What do you all think? Yeah, that's I, I, I think. agree 100%, because, I mean, I haven't needed one. The guy I flew beside uh, today, um, he hasn't got a degree. Uh, we both working uh, decent jobs in a decent airline, uh, both career uh, airline pilots. So uh, obviously in the States, it does make a difference. Uh, but certainly in a lot of countries, you definitely don't need it to get your license. Uh, but uh, it does enhance your prospects of getting a job. That might have been true uh, in the past, I'm not so sure it will remain true in the future because as the mm. pilot shortage hits, I think that uh, the the ability for airlines to pluck the highest educated people uh, out of the workforce uh, and just employ them, that will go. So they will look at anyone who's got a, a, a good uh, amount of flying skill and uh, is is uh, in a good material. And I think personally, I don't think uh, necessarily working your way through a university degree uh, makes you a better pilot. It, it certainly gives an indication to your employer that you are uh, educatable. Is that a word? Uh, sounds I think right. I have, yeah, it sounds very good. <laughs> well, and, you're, and you... Trainable. Yeah, trainable, trainable. You're able to stick with something. But, uh, certainly, getting an air transport pilot's right. license is much more relevant, and also indicates you're trainable. And right. for me, that was that was the big difference. And so, that yeah. also costs money. So that forty to seventy thousand dollars you're alluding to, I would probably spend it there. To exactly. Start. Yeah. And if you decide you want a management job in the future, you can probably complete that graduate education while you're working right. here full-time job yes as a pilot yes yes and Kevin, yes go ahead take it from somebody that's worked in that realm okay i've worked in management at the airline and the work the airline that i work for now i've worked in flight ops management uh it has absolutely no bearing whatsoever other than if you want to become senior vice president of flying operations and then that would probably give you a leg up um, but certainly right now where I, where I would take the, that money that you're thinking about spending, if you want to become a, a commercial airline uh, or any type of pilot that's flying for a living, and when we say commercial, it means a pilot that is flying for a living, um, I would take that money and apply it towards building your time, finishing your ratings, and getting the experience. Because, number one, 
they look for the experience level that you have, the hours that you've built, the quality time you have, and you already have one of them. That is, you, you're an engineer with a college education. So you, you have everything that they're looking for except for the flying part of it. So go ahead and, and take all of your efforts, make that, uh, that jump if you want to make that jump and become a, a professional aviator and uh, apply that money in that way. And then later on, if you want to pursue a further advancement with the, whichever company you happen to uh, get the opportunity with, um, if you decide to pursue the higher education, then you can do it. You know, you've got plenty of time uh, in our business uh, when you're out there flying the line to take that extra time that you have and apply it in any way you'd like to. You want to become more educated? Sure, go get your master's degree. Um, I know a particular pilot that I'm not going to mention names, but I know he's all, he, not only is he a, 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 you know, a very successful aviator, he's also a doctor and also a lawyer. So he's taken all the spare time that he had and, and used his, his time very wisely and uh, really has done very well in life. So that's all up to you, but take the, take the time, spend the money, and, and build that time so you can have that experience get hired. And honestly, uh, the bachelor's degree requirement of a lot of the major airlines here in the United States is just a, a box to check, and that sets you up, up, above somebody who doesn't have that. It's just like a discriminator. So do it in, in a field that you have an interest in. It doesn't necessarily have to be aviation related. Right, exactly. And, and it just shows do your it motivation. something that might help you in the future if for some reason you can no longer continue to fly. Also, That's a good point. I was just waiting for an opportunity to make it myself, Steph, but mm-hmm. that, I agree 100%. Exactly. That's what, and that's been our advice consistently on this show. You know, yes, get a degree so you can get on and get a great job with a great airline, uh, but get it in something that you enjoy doing, you have a passion for, and something you can fall back on just in case this airline career doesn't work out. You know, you never know when your, um, your, your uh, health changes and you can no longer fly airplanes for a living. You should have something in your toolbox that you can, you know, fall back on. Um, so yeah, all good, all good advice. I think we all agree, you know, flying airplanes uh, is a skill and, uh, it's, it's not something everybody can do, but a college degree is not even in, I think we'd all agree is not a requirement to do this job. Well, um, in fact, for, um, our company, the, our senior VP of operations, I'd be surprised if he has more than a bachelor's degree. He may have, but, uh, uh, he sat on the back row with me, a couple numbers junior to me, actually, um, and went through the uh, Navy. I went through the Air Force. And the reason why we have college degrees is because that was a requirement uh, to be an officer in the uh, armed forces of the United States. And to be a pilot, you have to be an officer. So you see, it's like you got to have this to get this to get this. And that advanced degree that you're asking about is something that you may want to pursue, as we mentioned, in the future after you've secured that great job with a major airline. Uh, but uh, don't consider it as something that is a requirement to, or may even set you ahead of somebody else. In fact, it may actually have the opposite effect. Well said. I agree. Okay. Good job. Great. Thanks, everybody. Um, Aaron writes in. He has a 
an audio feedback that he sent us, and he has a question about something. So let's see what he has to say. Hey there, Captains Nick and Jeff and Dana and Dr. Steph and everybody else and their brother on the Airline Pilot Guy show. Uh, my name's Aaron and big fan of the show for a couple years now. And when I say a couple years, that means only like 100 episodes. And as much as I love you guys, I'm not going to go back and listen to like 250 episodes to... to just you know, I'm just not. I, I love you, but boo, that's boo. like 600 hours worth of stuff. So sensible. Don't do I'm it. Not trying to break any. <laughs> but okay. Anyway, gosh, you're not even gonna. Uh, okay. Should we now. stop playing this guy's Peter? Yeah, stop it. I wanted to. <laughs> uh, well, I have quite a few questions for you guys, but for the sake of time, I'm gonna limit it to one question today, and probably one question per feedback in the future. And the question is this: so. I grew up flying on 737s a lot. Um, I did the flight from Sacramento to Seattle to visit grandparents many, 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 many times growing up. Most times, nine times out of ten on a 737 for um, Acme Eskimo. And every flight was basically the same. Except for the one time that they put me on a Mad Dog which happened to be right after that, that one for Acme Eskimo uh, flipped over and uh, ended up crashing. But anyway, so my question is, um, I've ridden on 737s so many times, uh, too many to even count, and this has never happened. So what happened was, I was flying on a 737 on, <laughs> oh man, I don't even know how to... to to make up a name for this airline. Let's call it Acme mm, Friendly Skies Panama. And if you can figure that out, then that's great. <laughs> but anyway, I was flying Acme, Acme Spanish based in Panama uh, from LAX to Panama and then eventually on to Guatemala this past summer on a mission trip. And the planes started up, we, we get pushed back, they start the engines, and immediately I smell um, either fuel or exhaust or a combination of both inside the cabin. And I've ridden on 737s like a million times, and this has never happened. And so I was like, oh, dang, maybe I should tell somebody about this. And so I told the flight attendant, and she smelled it too, and was like, oh my word, except in Spanish. And talked to the captain, and the captain was like, uh, cool your britches, it's all good, uh, we're gonna make it. And I said, alright man, I'll trust you, but uh, I've never, never had this happen before. And of course, it all worked out, and everything was fine. But I was just wondering your, your opinion, you know, what, is there maybe something different that that airline does with their startup procedures or air circulation or um, something like that that um, would allow the exhaust or whatever it was to get in the cabin or um, any thoughts on that? I'm sure it's probably a common thing. They acted like it was. Oh, this is great. I'm doing feedback and an airplane's flying over my house right now. That's cute. So anyway, let me know what you think and um, hopefully... You guys can answer some of the more questions I have in the future. You guys are cool. Oh, I have one more question about uh, traffic patterns. Just kidding. 
all right, uh, clear skies and all that kind of stuff or whatever. You guys have instruments. You guys are probably cool without clear skies. Oh, wise guy, huh? Wise guy. So, Dana says it the best. Say it again. Uh, Aaron, cool mm. your britches, man. <laughs> I don't know what was happening with that 737. I mean, there are times when, you know, there might be an airplane in close proximity and they're throwing a lot of aghast, aghast, exhaust gas your way. And maybe it sucked it. I have no idea. Yeah. My, anyway. my guess, my guess is probably a diesel ground service equipment vehicle. Oh, could be. Yeah. That would be my Sounds guess. I'm thinking someone else starting engines nearby and yeah. just the exhaust getting sucked into the APU and uh, into the um, air conditioning system. And you're getting a whiff of, you know, just that fabulous smell of mm. burnt kerosene that uh, drifts around airports. I mean, it, it, in the morning. Yeah, exactly Aaron, right. It Aaron used to happen quite regularly if you were waiting to line up uh, an aircraft landed and that, that uh, burnt rubber smell would come on board because you sucked it into your engines and it came into the cabin. And, uh, you know, it's just one of the great smells of aviation, mate. Relax and enjoy it. Right. Uh, cool your bridges. For me in the Air Force, it was <laughs> uh, it was uh, firing a cannon and the cordite uh, smoke from the uh, expended rounds used to come into the intakes and used to spit into the cockpit through the air conditioning system. You get a whiff of cordite, whiff of gunpowder. What a great smell. <sighs> Can I just say though, yeah. I am very impressed that Captain Nick passed on the opportunity to bash on a Boeing product here. Well, don't uh, give yeah. him the opportunity stuff. Oh, sorry. Come moving on. on, moving on. Ah, moving I on. thought we were done with that feedback. <laughs> I thought that was taken as red, but it was a useful idea. You know, what a useless airplane. Well, in this case, I think it could have happened with an Airbus product as well. Yeah, I, because I, I get it in my Airbus. And actually, I think it's one of the joys of taxiing around an airport. You know, you get all those lovely smells of aviation. I love it. Honestly, I think that I know everybody on this crew, and I think most of the people listening to the show would all agree, when you go to the airport and you smell that smell of burnt Jet A or Jet A1 or whatever it is, the superior product that you all use over there, exactly. it's such a great smell i i love it mm -hmm. i really do they should make a yeah, cologne like the smell of jet fuel in the morning yeah not the raw jet fuel but the, the burnt jet fuel yeah that exhaust yeah. ah so good well so th that that and the, and the rubber when you know the rubber the burning rubber yeah you know no <laughs> well yeah. wrong show nick uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. Yeah, that's a Steady that's the X-rated podcast. Yeah, after hours Stay tuned for late night. Uh, the ABG yeah. after hours podcast. I think ABG Josine is, is patiently waiting. Is she still with us? Who? Yes, she is. She, oh well, well two minutes ago I was chatting. Right? I was going to say yeah, let's let's, let's skip this one and move on to uh, yeah. next one. Five. Yeah. Josine, don't go anywhere. <laughs> Just kidding. Here we go. Without further ado, let's do. Item four, Josine sent us some audio feedback. Mm -hmm. Hello, APG crew. This is Josine. Today I'm presenting a belated sequel to some feedback I submitted this summer. In that feedback, I talked about some research on the sociology of airline pilots. 
This research included a lengthy survey that delved into the nitty-gritty of the pilots' backgrounds and their personal lives. And today I'm going to talk about a statistic from that survey that I found rather striking. They found that 94% of pilots are, can you guess? No, not male. No, not white. What comes to mind? Time permitting, if you want to pause this audio and take a stab at it, I would be quite interested to hear what your guesses may be. So if that's what you're going to do, this would be the time to pause. Okay, I put it on pause. I love, Josina always gives us interactive feedback. I know. I missed the question, though, because it broke up a little bit on my end. Can you restate it for the uh, peanut gallery? Okay, let me see. I'm going to re rewind okay. just to make sure we get this right. They found that 94% of pilots are, can you guess? No, not male. No, not white. What comes to mind? Time permitting, is it the time to pause? Okay, 94% of the pilots are not happy. <laughs> okay, happy. Sorry, a simple uh, uh, answer. Uh, okay, not poor. Not poor. Wealthy. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with I'm no. Not sure with that one. Um, 94% of pilots are. Any guesses? Male. male. No, she said no, she not said, male. She said not male that, that and was, not uh, white. Correct? Well, correct. Anglo-Saxon? I think she gave away the answer in the chat room, but I'm not going to say it because it was not my, uh, okay. not my guess. Nick, um, you're muted if you want to talk to us. Unmute. Damn. I, I have some really good things. Uh, I, <laughs> I, saw you, I saw your mouth moving. And I'm thinking, I wonder who he's talking to. Cause I don't, I don't hear him. Cause I, I was going to say fat. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think that's it. Captain uh, L says coffee drinkers. I, I think that's actually probably true. Uh, that was you know not what? The um, I'd say 10 to 15, 20 years ago, I'd say coffee drinkers is correct, but not anymore. Not anymore? No. Really? Married. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe. Have We're getting close. Watches. Have watches. <laughs> have have arms and hands. <laughs> uh, let's you see. Two legs. Let's, uh, let's have ED. <laughs> okay, let's 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 move on. Have the nickname Chuck. Three, Nigel. two, one. Okay, let's get into it. My feedback last time was about the enormous strain associated with pilot life especially when you're starting out. The burden of student debt, being on reserve, seniority woes, commuting, crash pads, fatigue, all of these things eat into your quality of life. And one would think that these stressors would discourage or at least delay the starting of a family. And yet, survey says 94% of pilots are in a relationship. Is that surprising to you? It surprised me. At the time this survey was given, way back in 2006, 
A Pew Research study showed that the number of adult Americans in a relationship was roughly 66%, considerably less. Of course, 2006 was a long time ago. And further, this particular finding could have been inaccurate, even at the time that the study was done. But still, it's a very high number. So I'm curious, how many single pilots do you know? Do you tend to take it for granted that whoever you're flying with has a significant other? Now, before I open the floor to your feedback, I wanted to share some thoughts. First, I want to talk about the difference between a feature and a condition, between correlation and causation. Let's say your pilot has blue eyes. That's a feature. But the fact that your co-pilot has eyeballs? That's a condition. That's a requirement. We don't let people without eyeballs fly, fly planes. The fact that pilots tend to be male is a feature. 70 years ago, it was a condition. They only let men fly. So, if I ask, why 94%, why so high, the way to explain that depends on whether you're dealing with a feature or a condition. If it's a feature, all I have to do to solve the mystery, so to speak, is to appeal to a set of stereotypes. The idea that pilots, or at least male pilots, are conventional, conservative types masculine yet somehow lacking in self-reliance, and that each of these traits correlate with having a long-term partner. And I can stop there having explained it. I'm being totally judgmental and simplistic and sexist, but it sounds plausible, and I can find plenty of individual examples that fit my theory. But now, what happens if I consider the 94% figure as a condition rather than a feature? In other words, do you need to be in a relationship in order to be a pilot? Perhaps not to the extent that a pilot needs to have functioning eyeballs, but maybe as much as you needed to be male back in the day. What I'm asking is, does the industry accept it as normal that the duties of a pilot should be so demanding as to be practically impossible without the support of another person, in particular, a person devoted to running things smoothly at home. When you frame the question this way, corollaries emerge. Namely, it could explain why there are so few women pilots. We still live in a society where if a woman gives up her career to raise a family, it's seen as a sacrifice, an unfair one perhaps, but whether you're conservative or progressive, it's still a sacrifice. It's a thing of value. When we hear that a man gave up his career to stay at home, all too often we don't think of that choice as a noble sacrifice. We think, how much did you suck at your job? Where's your self-respect? All too often people think that's a freeloader a man-child, a beta male. People used to say, 
that behind every successful man is a strong woman. Today, we expect a successful woman to stand alone. We tell her she doesn't need a man, and she's constantly reminded how unwise, how risky it is to expect a man to take on that supportive role. And yes, you can argue that that reluctance comes down to fundamental differences between men and women. That doesn't offend me. But without a partner to depend on, I wonder how much harder is it for her to succeed as a pilot? And that has nothing to do with her abilities in the cockpit. This idea might even explain some aspects of the pilot shortage, because compared to baby boomers or Gen X, millennials today are far less likely to be sexually active, let alone in a relationship, let alone married. In many ways, they're more isolated, not to mention less stable financially. And so, if airlines today struggle to fill rosters, perhaps it's because they're using the same model that worked for them 40 years ago, not realizing it only worked because they were relying on the unpaid, unrecognized labor of wives and girlfriends to generate a profit. Food for thought. So, Let me know your experiences, your thoughts. Is life harder for single pilots? Would you have made it without your spouse? Or is it just a part of the pilot personality to want to be with someone? Do loners make bad pilots? All right, let's move on to the next item in our feedback folder. No, I'm just kidding. Wow. (laughs) Wow. That was amazing. Unbelievable. (laughs) Josina always sends such great oh, stuff. I, uh, I love it. It really is food for thought, and you just that's feedback of the year. Uh, that is very thought provoking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, just you are you are a very intelligent, very thoughtful, very uh, sophisticated, and very intelligent person, Josine. Well, she's you, a university you, professor, I believe. Well, well, okay, that that's yeah. irrelevant as far as that's true. <laughs> yeah. But besides, you know, the, despite that, the, the philosophical <laughs> way that she put this question to all of us is mm-hmm. is is amazing. And I have to answer with one thing: is that most pilots that I know of are married either teachers or nurses who are very patient. <laughs> they need to be. <laughs> they need to be. So um, I have more to say, but I'll, I'll open up the floor to you guys. Hmm. Okay, so stop. I'll say having a lot of interactions with um, female pilots, especially female airline pilots, even if it's just um, on a kind of impersonal level on social media platforms and things like that. Um, I think there's definitely this sense among, uh, you know, she's kind of asking a couple different questions here, but just to go to the female pilot perspective of things. Um, I know there, especially at the regional level, there are a lot of female pilots out there right now who are, not in, let's say, committed relationships. You know, they may be in a relationship, but it may not be their long-term relationship. They may not be married. Um, they may not be looking for that. Um, are there things that they struggle with because of the, you know, not having someone there on the home front to help provide support and do things while they're away? 
yeah, I'm sure there there is, and and you know myself, I I can see that. Um, you know, I work forty hours a week. You know, in a eight to five job, it's hard to get things done around the house if you're not home, even if you're not leaving to go on a trip for four days in a row. If you're not there during business hours, you can't get things done. Um, it's nice to have someone that you can call on, someone that you can trust to to help out with those things. Um, if you don't have that, it just makes it a little bit more difficult, but I think it can still be worked around. Um, does it make those individuals less fulfilled, less satisfied, less happy? I don't think so. I I, I don't know. My, my gut sense is, is no. Um, I'll put that out there for, for the moment. I, I found this absolutely fascinating because uh, my mind went through so many um, different scenarios. I thought of people that I knew and I thought of myself and I thought of, um, you know, people I imagined and tried to uh, see if I could see uh, a pattern uh, in the people I know. And uh, I came up with the conclusion that I think it might be age-related. I had absolutely no problem doing my job um, when I was younger. Uh, I had the support of the Air Force in those days, and I, you know, I had a, a, a Batwoman who made my bed and tidied my room and uh, uh, did my washing for me. So I just had to concentrate on flying. That was no problem. I was married shortly after. And although, you know, we were both very young people, uh, from then on, I had someone there to help me at home. I never really tried that really long period of being a bachelor and trying to cope with a career, perhaps uh, in a house on your own, trying to do everything between trips that, you know, uh, uh, might have been done for me when I was married. but I, So I certainly think there is a huge advantage in having someone behind you helping you out because it, of your lifestyle. You're around the country so much. Uh, you move around. You have very little time at home. It, it all becomes very difficult and, of course, very fatiguing when you're doing long haul. On those few days you get off, you don't really want to struggle with uh, – uh, doing tedious tasks when you're feeling jet-lagged and horrible anyway. Um, I, I don't see any problem amongst the bachelor officers, I'm, uh, pilots I meet, uh, who seem to have a wonderful time. Um, so I personally think it's a combination of desiring uh, this uh, support so that you can enjoy yourself more in the flying and you when you get your days off you can relax combined with the fact that i think the uh, the remuneration the lifestyle the perhaps flamboyance of the job uh, the attractiveness of the job does make you an attractive mate whether you're male or female um so i think it's quite common for relationships to form very easily and quickly uh when you get into the aviation career because People see it as um, uh, uh, see a pilot as perhaps a good person to what is it swipe right or do you swipe left on a pilot? I, I, I have you no swipe idea. Right. There you go. I think you it's see, swipe right. Yes, because uh, the, the 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 highest swipe right occupation uh, in um, Tinder uh, are pilots. Really? Huh. Apparently, good to know. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, when I was a young person and wanted to be an airline pilot, I and before I met my 
wife and fell in love with her, I was planning on being a single person uh, until I was about 30 years old, getting hired by the major airlines and thinking sometime after that, maybe I'd take a look at, you know, settling down and getting married and having children and having a family. Um, my wife at the time, when I was still in college had not yet graduated, had different plans, um, unbeknownst to me. Uh, but I think that, you know, you said the survey was taken in 2006. My personal experience recently in the last wave of new hires, um, it seems like, um, I don't know if it's most of the people that I fly with, but a, a, a large number of much larger percentage than it used to be, uh, are not in a relationship. They're single people. And that's kind of a new thing in the last couple of years. And so I think that this whole thing may be changing, but I would agree that being a single person, whether it be male or female, uh, in this world of flying, especially all the time we spend away from home has to be very difficult, much more difficult, I think, than having a partner that's at home and taking care of all these domestic things going on. And, uh, yeah, that's what I have to say about that. Yep. I, I would agree with that. Um, I don't know that that, um, I guess you can take that as a fact, more or less, that if you don't have someone to take care of things on your home front, wherever that is, or wherever, whatever that entails, um, it makes things a little bit more challenging. But I don't know that that fact necessitates that you enter into a relationship or partnership, mm-hmm. necessarily. I think if you're motivated, I think if you're yeah. Um, yeah, creative would- enough, I think you can figure out how to work around those limitations. Yeah. I mean, that's not a reason. That's not a reason to get into a relationship with somebody. That's a completely married or anything like that. It's, it's the the reason why I ended up getting married was because I fell in love with somebody and then I realized, wait a minute. That's the reason to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, my, my wife was, is, is a, and I think it's an attractive thing for a person to be very independent and can live and do everything on their own without me. And that's a very attractive thing for somebody that's doing this kind of job. Cause you feel like, Oh, I don't have to worry about her and what's happening with the family because I know she's got it. On the other hand, <laughs> that can be, that can be a, a detrimental thing because after a while, after many, many years of being with somebody like that uh, and you've gone for most of the time, uh, they finally start thinking, why do I need this person anymore? You know, um, although he's making a, a nice, you know, paycheck, but anyway, that's a, it can be a two edged sword. The second two edged sword in our show. Josie, I mean, I, I want to take a few moments to answer uh, what I think is my perception as to what you're looking for. And, and really the, the biggest thing, and Jeff kind of alluded to it a little bit, is that you know we are uh, on the road a lot we are spending a lot of time alone um take a look at uh, you know jeff and nick right now as we talk i'm home for a few hours and you know when when we're done with this podcast or actually probably done here in a few minutes for me i'm gonna go spend some time with my lovely my lovely wife um but you know, it, it is a very lonely world that we live in because we spend so many, as you know, Nick talked about earlier in the show, holidays, you know, Christmas, New Year's, 
July 4th, whatever holiday you celebrate in each in indi- individual country, uh, your birthdays and, and missing events. Um, so it is a very lonely world that we live in. Um, you know, today is a perfect example. I mean, we look at what uh, Nick is going with, going through with his lovely uh, uh, Vishler, um, home taking care of the situation, even though despite Nick getting called out, because Nick knows that he can depend on on Jilly to take care of the situation. So there is there is the level of comfort. But what I think the biggest biggest thing we're looking at is not necessarily because of being a pilot, whether it be male or female, uh, or dependence upon each other. I think we're looking at the difference in the sign of times nowadays. Uh, you know, you've got the it, a whole different world with technology. You've got a whole different world with the dating scene. Uh, people are far less personally interactive versus, you know, if you go out to any restaurant, if you go out to any nightclub, if you go out to any uh, just go on the subway or just walk around the streets. And what you do is you see everybody is talking on their cell phones. They're texting. They're they're communicating. They go on dating sites. Uh, the first officer I just got through flying with, 29 years old, and still doesn't have a, a person of interest in his life, but yet all of his close friends, every one of them is married. So he's kind of left out with a situation that he is by himself without a, a life partner yet. So I don't know that there is a true answer because of it being just an airline pilot or via, you know, whether it's just the sign of the times that we're in right now. Um, but what this life, you know, does lead to is uh, that you're on the road a lot. You spend a lot of time alone and sometimes you do just need somebody to depend upon at home. But um you know, whether you want to or not, it, it, I think it's really an age gender, an age specific thing. A lot of the younger pilots coming up are, are of the more, um, probably more single, uh, the, the least majority that just like Jeff has uh, a flown with, I've flown with a lot of single uh, first officers. I uh, haven't had the opportunity to fly with a female yet, so I don't know what that situation is yet. But uh, a lot of the guys I've flown with are either just recently married, have young children at home, or very much single. So uh, I, I don't think it has any any relationship to directly to the industry other than that we spend a lot of time on the road by ourselves. Yeah, I agree. I think it it, it is a big part of this is this a sign of the times. Yeah. Very and, true, but incredibly thought provoking. And thanks very much, Josine. That was just brilliant. Um, and I'm, I'm going to have to listen to this afterwards when the podcast comes out, and mull it over a bit more because I'd just like to listen to that all again. There was so much in your feedback, and uh, I, I, you know, I really want to try and turn my brain around and see if I can answer any more of the questions more succinctly. Because, yeah. uh, she, I think she brings we, up one more. There was a, there was a lot in there, but um, she yeah. mentioned it, mentions it in the chat room again. Um, do you feel that I guess the change in perhaps relationship status going forward of pilots could have could play a role in the pilot shortage? Is there something to? And she kind of got to that at the end when she was tying everything together to suggest that perhaps because folks aren't as um, concerned with being in a committed long term relationship these days, whether that's true or perceived, 
that that's something that was integral to being um, a successful airline pilot or being something that the airlines were looking for? I would I would say one of the things you know as as we have more female pilots come on board, it's going to make planning a, a bit more challenging, right? Because you know obviously males cannot carry babies, females can. So you know for staffing reasons, I think that would will, will play in a little bit to it. Um, and I, I don't, it's not an issue. Obviously, that's that's I'm not making that you know, or saying that in a negative light at all but you know when when you have somebody come out you know come out and go on maternity you know that can play a little bit havoc especially when we we are so short i i think that in the long term i don't think it apply you know it really doesn't hurt or, or really make a difference uh over over time now i'm with nick on one thing is that you know nick i know you've been up for a long time right now at this point I'm pushing, uh, well, I'm pushing almost 20 hours myself. So I'm, I'm with you, Nick. I, I want to listen to that feedback again because it's so thought-provoking and very well laid out and very well uh, thought about. I think, Jeff, I almost want to say let's let's revisit this on, on a future episode because I, I, want, I want time to think about it as well. Okay, we'll do I that. I have a real short answer to, to that question. I think the answer is no. Uh, regarding the pilot shortage. Correct. Okay. Not revisiting this in the future. No, no, no. I, okay. I, agree, with, <laughs> I agree with revisiting it in the future, but my my sense is that that is not something that's integral to making yeah. a successful airline pilot. My feeling is the same. I, I don't think it has anything at all to do with the pilot shortage. Mm-hmm. And, and I would agree with both of you guys. I mean, I think the answer is no. Uh, I, I think the only effect would be that, uh, you know, the, the family planning aspect that would actually, you know, cause a bit of an issue but you know that's that's something needs to be managed through planned for and and thought about i mean it's that's all there is to it and i think it works okay in in other industries uh in other professions uh so i don't think it's going to be an issue in the airline industry either absolutely will not be an issue whatsoever it just needs to be planned and i love the way you stated that dana that uh it wasn't a negative it was a positive like women can have children we cannot yeah, that's, so that's many weird. times it's presented in the no, just opposite way. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, yeah. one would say I have a baby in my belly every day, but okay. <laughs> yeah, it may look like I do, but I don't. <laughs> I, I sure do. Lots of fear in my belly. Okay. With that, thank you again, Josie. Uh, wow. Really uh, thought provoking. And we will address this again in the future, but it's important now, very important that we get to and the speaking m- of spouses. Okay. We'll see. You. I, get, I know you have a short time. Uh, thank I, you, Dana, I, I get, for spending the the very valuable time that you had at home, uh, at least some of it with us. And uh, yes, I do appreciate and, that. And I wouldn't miss it for the world, as you guys yeah. know. Yeah. Although, well, I'm not going to say anything. But anyways. Uh, <laughs> say hi to Julie for us, okay? Yeah, I, I will. Absolutely. Love to see you, Dana. Great to see you, yeah, Dana. I miss you. Nick, I only missed you by one night. Uh, I, was in, I was there Again. just last night. Yep. So. Again. Damn. Darn it. All All right. right. Well, thank you guys. And uh, I see that um, Steve has some feedback for me and we'll get to that next time. Yeah. We'll we'll, uh, put that aside for next time. Great seeing you. Good night, Dana. Yeah. Take care, Dana. And Nick, I want to listen to your plain tales. I can't wait. No problem. Cheers. It's a good Good night. Good night. Right. All right. Speaking of that, it's the bestest part of the show other than Josine's great feedback. 
And it is this week's installment of Plain Tales, Adam Spink and Speedbird 38. The old pilot's plane tails. Adam Spink and Speedbird 38. Adam, thanks very much indeed uh, for talking to me today. This is going to be a fascinating plane tail and one I've been looking forward to doing for a very long time. Now, it's not every day that uh, we hear of an aircraft accident. It's certainly not every day when people actually witness an aircraft accident, but to be the supervisor in the air traffic control tower at London Heathrow when an aircraft uh, crashes on the airfield is about as rare as it gets. Uh, But you were in that situation, um, and it's going to be a fascinating story. Perhaps you could just Give us a little lead up and, and tell us uh, what it is you uh, you do normally day to day at Heathrow. Uh, yeah, sure, Nick. It's my pleasure to uh, be given this opportunity to speak about it today. Um, I'm, uh, as you say, I'm an air traffic controller at Heathrow Airport. Um, on this particular day, I was just a rostered controller, morning shift. Um, so I entered the building at 0700 in the morning, and there are six control positions in the tower plus a supervisor Uh, so throughout the morning I would have probably controlled the landing runway for 40 minutes to an hour maybe one of the ground positions for another hour with a break in between another break another ground position maybe I can't remember it was just a normal day for me basically Um, and then um, at this point probably around midday half past 12 I was asked by the supervisor on duty if I could give him a 30-minute break. Of course, you say yes. So uh, I sat down. Do you think he had a bit of a premonition? Well, I'm not sure. Um, I certainly... um, I don't think after that event I ever decided to give a supervisor a break again. Um, The uh, the only notable thing, basically, for me is that it was actually my birthday. Uh, The 17th of January is my birthday. So um, there was nothing unusual going on in terms of weather or... um, traffic flows delays etc was it a nice um, day from what i remember it was it wasn't raining it was dry but it was overcast relatively low cloud um off the top of my head um it was um only about 1500 feet cloud base maybe even lower so a normal english day basically in terms of weather um and yeah so i i agreed to give the supervisor a break or they went downstairs and and uh, and had a bit of a rest um, had something to eat, so sat down, took a handover of uh, of what was going on, the, the situation at the time, um, and I didn't think anything else of it. It was all very, going very smoothly. Was it a, bu- a busy day? No more than usual, um, but at Heathrow, generally all of our days are busy. From my recollection, obviously it was more than 10 years ago now, there was, there was nothing unusual going on at all now. Did you take any note of uh, the BA flight before the incident started no not at all it was a normal arrival um came in off lambourne i think um it would have done um got vectored around so so just to describe to the listeners i was sat on the supervisor's desk so if you imagine a, a clock face um i'm sat at number 12 facing north the aircraft are coming in 
over London, so from the three o'clock position. Um, and the controllers controlling both of the runways, we've got two parallel runways at Heathrow, uh, the controller who would actually talk to Speedbird 38 is sat at the number three position looking east. Um, so he's looking at the oncoming traffic coming down the approach and on the runway. Um, so I'm sat at 90 degrees to the traffic. And, uh, and actually the first um, indication that there was something unusual going on was the arrivals controller who controls the arrivals runway remarked to to the tower in, in general that um, that he thought this aircraft, this particular aircraft, which turned out to be Speedbird 38, was going around, was performing a missed approach. So to explain, we see nearly 700 arrivals per day at Heathrow. So once you've been working there for a few years, you get to know what an aircraft looks like or should look like on approach if they're following the glide slope with the correct attitude. So this particular aircraft um, looked very nose high, which is why the controller um, thought it was going around. And in fact, what had happened a few miles out on approach, the aircraft had lost power almost completely. And what we saw as the nose high was the flight crew just fighting to keep the aircraft in the air. Uh, so the controller had only glanced at the, the aircraft, nose high attitude, assumed it was going around. Uh, where we have to warn the departures runway controller and uh, approach radar that there is a missed approach. We hit the missed approach alarm to warn RF Northolt and everybody, uh, every controller nearby, uh, that there's been a missed approach. Um, so that's what the controller assumed was going on. Within a few more seconds, obviously, he, he then realised by looking out the window that, that the aircraft was not going around. It was, in fact, uh, descending more rapidly than, than usual. Uh, however, meantime, given this warning of a possible missed approach, I thought as a, as a very efficient supervisor, I'd try and record all the data. So I was diligently facing away from the aircraft, writing on my computer, filling out the database, when the another controller in the tower who was now watching the what was assumed to be a missed approach and now rapidly saw the aircraft ascending towards the ground, um, he just shouted out, it's crashing, it's crashing, very loudly. And at that point, everybody turned to watch this uh, this aircraft um, and I turned and, and saw it probably two or three seconds before it hit the ground. Mayday, mayday, speedbird, speedbird, nine five, nine five. Um, as to what I saw, it I can only liken it to a Hollywood movie. It was that spectacular, and I use that word in in terms of what it actually looked like visually. Um, it looked like an episode of Star Trek or you know Independence Day, where a massive spaceship crashes into a into a planet and there's massive amounts of dirt and debris being thrown up um i the rate it was descending out of the window i assumed it would explode when it hit the ground um that's what i was expecting to see thankfully that didn't happen the aircraft hit the ground uh, started to slide forwards across the grass uh, so it only just cleared the perimeter fence by a few feet and then as it hit the ground started sliding the approach lighting on the, the big uh, pylons were being thrown around, puncturing the wings. Uh, the undercarriage legs had been forced up through the wings because of the force of the impact. Um, and then my next thought, the aircraft was still sliding towards the beginning of the runway, which it hadn't yet reached the runway, it touched down a lot, uh, a lot shorter than the beginning, um, was it was actually starting to veer to the right towards Terminal 2, which was full of parked aircraft, full of thousands of passengers, completely unaware of this this impending disaster potentially um so i started to think this is going to crash into the terminal so uh 
I was watching this out the window happen and, and the last two or three minutes of what I've been talking about have literally only actually taken two or three seconds in real life. And then at that point, the controller who's talking to the aircraft, um, literally the mayday call was given out by the pilot only a few seconds before he hit the ground. At that point, the controller had already identified there was a big issue with the aircraft and, and it was going to hit the ground very, very hard. He uh, activated the crash alarm. So there's, um, it's almost like a movie, this bit, because there's a, there's a big red button that says crash on our desk with a little plastic cover so you have to flip up the plastic cover with your finger and then hit the button so that connects that controller immediately with uh, the airport fire service the airport operations building uh, the local police um, and other associated agencies who, who need to know that an emergency has occurred or is shortly to occur at this point it was a, a reactive call so something has happened so he declared an aircraft accident and then <clears throat> excuse me we get we have a mnemonic so it's uh, the type the nature of problem uh, and the rendezvous point that we allocate to the emergency services um, so the the controller very car having seen this amazing spectacle just happen out of, out of the window um, had to remember to be calm the the people receiving this phone call had no notice that this was going to happen so you read out the monarch very very slowly very very clearly uh, which he did so um, and then that scrambles the fire service and the other associated uh, emergency agencies and also external to the airport so london fire brigade London Ambulance Service start uh, deploying their services towards the airport and at that point um, the controller then has to it, it's the reversion to the training that we're that, that we do very very often um, it's nothing more than a blocked runway so the controller has just seen out of the window this this um, visually spectacular occurrence um, potentially with with fatalities you know we we had no idea at that point that that the aircraft was uh, was as intact as it turned out to be. The, we had seen the slides deploy out of the aircraft. We could see people coming down the, the slides, but also I could see that there was liquid, which I assumed was fuel, was pouring out of the wings where it had been punctured by the, the approach light pylons. Um, the aircraft came to rest just on the beginning of the runway, on the piano keys. So the, the fire service had deployed and they immediately... Uh, started driving out to the airfield uh, to the aircraft in the southeast corner of the airfield where it came to rest um, and at, as I said at that point the arrivals runway controller who had just made this initial call then their job is to stop worrying, worrying about that which you can understand might be quite hard because it's right in front of them they need to start thinking about the aircraft that's two miles out to the same runway that's then three and a half miles behind that one and four miles behind that one so they're all lined up uh, probably about four or five aircraft all lined up on the runway approach at that point what happens to them there's no point carrying on focusing on what's just happened you need to make the situation safe so um, for my uh, for my recollection they they sent the first aircraft around I think it was a Qatari Airways um, and then there there was negotiations between the two runway controllers whether we could switch 
the following arrivals to the other runway with the cloud base, which we've already discussed was relatively low. So we couldn't really do that visually quite far out. So we had to wait till the aircraft dropped below the cloud for them to do a visual switch to the to the parallel runway. Uh, so that caused some extra workload trying to dis describe what what was going on to the arriving aircraft, the flight crew of the arriving aircraft, and, and whether they could accept a switch to the other runway. He's trying to negotiate with the radar controllers at uh, Swanwick, who are effectively lining the aircraft up on approach. They don't know what's happened, so they need to be told that the runway's blocked, that we need to switch arrivals to the other runway, uh, and and to to coordinate where we position the aircraft that have gone around due to the incident. So that's what the actual controller who's speaking to the aircraft at the time is doing. Um, notwithstanding, we now have lots of runway crossings with fire vehicles and ops vehicles deploying to various points around the airfield to collect the incoming emergency services or the fire service themselves scrambling to the aircraft. And they're calling up all the time on the frequency to get permission to cross or enter the runway. So his workload is really sky high at, the, at this point. Qatari 011, go around a second, go around, acknowledge. Qatari 011, go around. Echo Tower, Pry 52, 27 left, seven before we escape. Pry on the runway. Pry 2 enter 27 left. Pry 2 is on the runway. I can confirm, shoots have been deployed. Copy, sir. Speedbird 479, you with me? Hey, firm 479. Speedbird 479, make a visual switch to 27 right if you can now. 479, continue until you're visual then, sir. Hello? Hello. We've had an aircraft crash on the threshold of 27 left. We need to switch everything to 27 right. Okay. And then stop things coming in for the time being. Okay. Ta. Okay. And checker, did you say enter 27 left? Seagull firm. Seagull enter 27 left. Seagull enter. All right, we're off to enter into 27 left. Qatari 011, standard Mr. Proj. Standard Mr. Boss, Qatari 04. And ops on enter 27 left. the departures controller who sat next to him controlling the departures runway is trying to um, vacate his aircraft off his runway there was I think there was one lined up ready to take off at the time the the crash occurred so he taxied him down the runway and, and turned him off the runway as soon as he could to then create a clear runway for these arrivals that were then going to have to land on, on this runway. As to what I was doing, the supervisor, so I saw this all happen out the window. I heard the controller put the crash alarm on, uh, the crash call. And I was prob it probably took about two or three seconds for me to process all of this and think... There's something I should be doing. I shouldn't be just standing here watching this all happen. Well, you're supervising. Um, <clears throat> exactly. So, um, so immediately then I I grabbed the the red emergency book equivalent of uh, a QRH on a cockpit or something, um, and there's flip open the the laminated book to to the appropriate tab for aircraft accident, and there's a big long checklist for 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 my tasks as a supervisor, various agencies to ring and uh, pass on more details about what's happened, what the situation is. Within two minutes, I need to make another a repeat phone call, the one the controller did to immediately scramble the, f the fire service. I need to make another phone call on the same line, um, using the same process with a lot more information, with the name of the airline, uh, the uh, 
I think, persons on board if we knew it at that point. Um, so a lot more background information that would help the fire service and, and oncoming um, external agencies help in, in dealing with the incident. Um, and to be honest, from that point on, for the next 20 or 30 minutes, I can't really remember what I did and what happened um, because I was just working so hard. Um, luckily, we had, I say luckily, um, but ironically, we had a management meeting going on. So all of the, we have five teams of controllers, five watches at Heathrow. They all have a manager and a deputy manager who are qualified controllers. And there was a watch management meeting going on. So we had probably had about 10 more qualified controllers in the building than we would usually have. Oh, wow. And it was your birthday. So And it was my birthday, yes. <laughs> um, so, and I was, I was, you know, really having a go at the guy I was giving a break to who was downstairs in the restroom while all this was happening. <laughs> <clears throat> so immediately I rang downstairs to find anybody who was a willing, you know, able to work. It was their days off because they came in for a management meeting. Some were going to work that, af that afternoon, later that afternoon. But I thought, you know, we've just seen this happen. Um, we're shutting down the airfield effectively. Um, there would be no more movement. So everything was being stopped from moving around on the airfield. We we're going to stop departures. We we're going to land what was on final approach and then probably shut for, for between 20 and 30 minutes while the fire cover um, came back up. Cause, yeah, perhaps you need to explain that. Yeah, so so at that point, so it's different now, but at that point when the fire service um, attended an accident and had to deploy their media, as they call it, so actually spray foam, water, um, then the fire cover would reduce. So as soon as you, the, fire ser the airport fire service start using up what they have stored on their fire appliances, um, the our uh, remaining ability to cope with another emergency reduces. So, so while this negotiation was going on, I I rang downstairs and was fine, basically getting people to come back up to allow me to replace every single controller who was working at the time of the incident. Now they just seen this, as I said, something that was out of a movie. Everybody was high on adrenaline. Um, we were already getting uh, requests from media helicopters wanting to come and start filming. So that maybe five, six minutes after the, the incident wow, happened. That quickly. Um, the, the, it was being spread um, through the, the media and, and you know we were getting calls from, from all sorts of people either wanting more information about what happened, um, which you need to be very careful about what you say because um, speculation at this point is not ideal. Um, and you, you, there are ways of verifying who's calling you, but if somebody calls calls the tower on an outside line, you don't know who they are, so you're not going to give them any information. Um, so I wanted to replace all the controllers who had seen this happen, because just from a human factors point of view, you don't want them continuing to work when they've seen something this um, shocking. Um, and as I said, we still didn't know that everybody had got out okay. We still the the speed of the impact and the descent rate. I was convinced people were very seriously injured, if not if not dead, on the aircraft. We'll leave it there for this week, but next week we'll continue with Adam's fascinating story and say a little bit more about the aftermath of this amazing incident. Ah, I can't wait <laughs> for next week's installment uh, of Plain Tales. <laughs> it's no, great, isn't it? It's, it's, it's <laughs> almost like a cliffhanger. <laughs> it is. Very clever of you to do, the, do it like that.
I, I'm just so glad the interview worked out so well. I mean, uh, I, I never imagined that uh, Adam's recollections were going to stir such emotions in me, and I hope in everybody else, because I find that even after doing the interviews and listening to this and editing it and doing it time and time again, it still absolutely sends chills down my spine when I listen to his words. I mean, I, I can't imagine being in that in that role in that capacity and um, just having to to manage things on that uh, on the air traffic control side of things. That's that's a huge responsibility. Just that that startle factor, that shock of like, what did sure, this really you know, just and happen? And did I like just you, see you this? You mentioned it wasn't it wasn't an emergency really in progress up to that point. A lot of times, I think when we have these things happening at or near an airfield. Um, you have some sense that the aircraft is already in distress or that there's mm -hmm. a problem already. And this was a very last minute thing that kind of happened on approach. And um, yeah, there, there wasn't a whole lot of warning for it. And absolutely. And uh, I'm the surprised reaction. at how, how alert the um, controllers were to notice. I mean, it makes sense. You know, if you, if that's your job and you're watching aircraft come in all day long, you get a sense of when something doesn't look quite right. Um, but to have that presence of mind to kind of initiate the sequence of, Hey, we have a problem here, and we need to to get emergency services, you know, mm -hmm. started and on their way Absolutely. as soon as possible. That's that's great. Yeah, uh, the uh, the reaction of the controller, I think, was exemplary mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. uh, his control of the aircraft coming down, his ability to uh, take himself uh, away from the the sight he'd just seen, and concentrate on his job and do the job and employ yeah. the mnemonic uh, and then you just as is true with all of our jobs is like you you revert to your training this is what i'm trained to do this is what i do mm -hmm. not everyone's able to do that though no. jeff and i take my hat off to those of us who uh, can uh, mm -hmm. you know display that wonderful level of professionalism yeah. that uh, the controllers, Adam and his team uh, on on uh, in, in the tower that day did, um, as well as, of course, of the guys on the aircraft that I'm going to follow these two interviews, uh, which I've split into two up, with the story of what happened on the flight deck uh, and, and make that the third uh, of this plane tales because that in itself, the cause of the accident and how it all went down on the flight deck, I think, mm -hmm. is, a, is another aspect. And to see it from the pilot's point of view will be, right. I, I hope, uh, also a very interesting. I love Adam and, mm -hmm. Adam's uh, sense of humor. It's like, I'm sitting here and I'm processing it. I'm thinking I should be doing something. I'm the acting <laughs> supervisor. But I mean, that I, I think that's something that would go through anyone's yeah. head, you know, and, and even the people who were, who seemed to be acting very quickly probably had that moment too of, oh, I'm supposed to be doing something mm -hmm. here. You know, like there's, uh, you know, not everything yeah. can be complete. Um, just fall back on, on training and, and instinct. There's always going to be a moment of, well, this is where I do that thing I was trained to do. Mm -hmm. You know, well, absolutely. No, I, I, and what's more, I must just uh, thank uh, National Traffic Service uh, in the UK for uh, allowing Adam's uh, interview to be broadcast because, of course, I had to go through their PR. We did it some time ago, and I've been waiting for uh, many weeks for it to be uh, for, to have permission to uh, to air it and i'm very grateful that they finally agreed and uh 
we've been able to put it on the show, uh, particularly since the anniversary of uh, this event, 17th of January, uh, 11 years ago, is when it actually occurred, which is also Adam's birthday, if anyone feels mm -hmm. like uh, reminding him of the fact. <laughs> we shall do so. Yes, happy birthday, Adam. <laughs> happy birthday, Adam. Yeah. Send yes. you a message two days from and now. And as I said in the chat room, uh, so blessed to have somebody like Adam here as part of our community. Just uh, oh yeah, amazing. absolutely. We seem we seem to have been very lucky. We've uh, drawn a number of uh, fine professionals uh, to the show to help us uh, and give us their opinions on various aspects that they're really expert in. So uh, I, I, you know, I think it's fantastic. And even some that may or maybe not that great, but uh, they sent us feedback anyway. And uh, <laughs> one of those, this guy. Uh, well, he'll introduce himself in this audio. Hi everyone, it's Pip here. Uh, Happy New Year to you all. I hope uh, 2019 has got off to a smooth start. I'm a little bit behind on my APG listing, I'm afraid. Sorry about that. Just catching up with APG 355, which was the last show of uh, 2018. And you had some feedback regarding Zurich Airport. And there was an ATC recording of a very frustrated German-sounding fellow uh, letting rip with a few choice words following some ground delays. Uh, now, Zurich is somewhere I'm pretty familiar with. We go there quite a lot. And I can confirm it's a well-known pain in the butt um, for European airports. And I don't quite know why it is. It's got three, you know, separate independent runways. You generally land on runway 14, take off on 28, and there's a, a third runway. I can't remember exactly what it is that they generally use for the heavy departures. Um, but it does seem, particularly at the rush hour periods, you know, uh, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., then again, late afternoon, when everyone's trying to get in and out, it does get very congested, and it's very common to pick up um, a delay. You, you get your clearance, you call up, and then they'll tell you to stand by on an apron or a ground frequency, and they'll come back to you and say, expect start in 20 minutes or 30 minutes and no real explanation. So I can kind of understand where this guy was coming from. I've certainly been frustrated there many times. You know, you've, you've done all your hard work, you've rushed to make an on-time departure, you get your passengers on board, and then suddenly out of nowhere, you get told of a 20, 30 minute, or maybe even more delay. So I've certainly, uh, my blood has boiled there many times. Never let it rip with any swear words though, but I understand where he's coming from. But it does remind me of a little yarn, a little tale, which is absolutely true uh, from Zurich Airport. Now, I need to be a little bit uh, careful and protect identities, but this concerns a particular um, ex-governor of California who may or may not have spent time portraying a psychopathic killing robots sent back in time to kill John Connor. I think you know who I mean. Um, so in fact, I've he was a passenger of mine, or one of our passengers. I've, I've met him a number of times now. Nice guy, very businesslike and uh, down to earth, no nonsense. But one particular day, a couple of years ago, back on the good old days on the Hawker, I was picking up said ex-California governor to take him somewhere else in Europe from Zurich. So 
I'm thinking, you know, running through things in your head thinking, oh, you know, how cool to meet this guy. You know, it is cool meeting someone like that. Very well-known individual. But the, at the same time thinking, right, Pip, play it cool. Don't be stupid. Don't say anything dumb. You know, don't crack any silly jokes as uh, <laughs> I have a tendency to do. Um, so there we are. First thing in the morning, morning rush hour. And he arrives early. There's like a kind of VIP terminal there. It's not totally secluded. It's kind of a little bit open to people wandering through. So I'm, I'm keen to not have him there too long. Uh, anyway, a part of the duties of the um, non-handling pilot, the pilot monitoring, when we don't have flight attendants, which we generally didn't on the Hawker, uh, it would be the duty to go in and, and meet and greet the passengers. So this responsibility on this particular day fell to me, which I was quite happy with. So in I go, and there is this gentleman uh, sitting there. And I can instantly tell that he's uh, tired. He's probably jet-lagged coming from the, the States. It's early in the morning, and he just I can see he wants to get going. Uh, but unfortunately, we've got uh, a delay, one of the famous Zurich ground delays. So I'm going to have to break this to him. Um, but the whole time, the whole time I'm thinking, right, don't say anything stupid. Don't say, for God's sake, don't say I'll be back. Don't say I'll be back. Don't say I'll be back. He's probably heard that a thousand times. So in my best professional, soothing, apologetic voice, I explain the situation. I'm saying, I'm sorry, uh, governor, because that's their official uh, you know, title. Even though he's uh, not a governor anymore, they still get to be called governor, kind of like a, an ex-president. You still call them president, I think. So I'm sorry, Governor, but uh, this is the situation. Uh, I suggest you make yourself comfortable, have a coffee. I'm still still thinking to myself, don't say I'll be back. Don't say I'll be back. Don't say I'll be back. So I continue. I say, you know, have a coffee. And uh, as I turn to go, I say to him, and uh, and I'll be back. And I panic because he catches my eye. And I go, oh, I'll be back later to get you. I'll be back later to get you. Oh, Pip, you Dumb fool. <laughs> Don't say I'll be back. Don't say I'll be back. Yeah, I said I'll be back. I'll be back. Oh, dear. <laughs> anyway, it all went uh, relatively smoothly after that. I was back and uh, we probably picked up a, I think I seem to remember it was about an hour's delay in the end. And uh, Anyway, we took him off and, and uh, he was happy. We delivered him to uh, wherever he needed to be. So... Yeah, we go. That's my little uh, tale of being dumb and saying stupid things in front of important people. Thanks, Zurich. Anyway, wishing you all uh, safe flying and clear skies and all that good stuff. Take care, everyone. Bye. <laughs> do you get the sense he's blaming Zurich for his? Uh, yeah, I do. Slip of the tongue there. Okay. Well, it Oops. must be Zurich's fault. Yeah, it was definitely their fault. <laughs> Thanks, Pip. Great story. Great story. That, that is a great story. Well told. <laughs> Love it. He is a good uh, teller, storyteller. Okay, let's you end. Think it really is the story. Or do you think <laughs> yes. it's true? Well, who knows? Yeah, well, will anybody wow. really know for sure? The world may never know. No, but who cares, really? <laughs> um, we're going to end with uh, this from Ray. A feathery passenger was discovered 12 hours into a 14-hour flight between Singapore and London. The stowaway, a minor bird, 
appeared in the business class section of a Singapore Airlines flight last Monday. An airline spokesman confirmed the incident a week later and said the bird was eventually caught. In a Facebook video, it can be seen making itself comfortable on top of a headrest before a flight attendant makes a failed attempt to grab it. It was subsequently caught by cabin crew with the assistance of some of the passengers, the spokesman told the Straits Times newspaper or the Strait Times newspaper. The bird, which is native to Southern Asia, was then handed over to animal quarantine authorities at London's Heathrow Airport. It's still unclear how it made it into the main cabin while at Singapore's, was it Shangji? Shangji? Changi. Changi Airport, or where it was hiding. Uh, just Changi. Okay. How about I just say Singapore's International Airport? That's fine. Okay. You say Singapore's International Changi uh, and I'll say the Changi bit. Okay, I don't really hear any difference there. <laughs> or where it was hiding for the first 12 hours of the flight. Thank you very much. If anyone would like to volunteer <laughs> no. as Jeff's Chinese <laughs> I don't. tutor. We don't need that. Thank Mandarin you. tutor. A or, very large airport in Singapore. Actually, this was, this was Singapore. So yeah. that's a completely different language. So I take that back. Yeah. Um, Email is anyway. Stephanie at... I'd be happy to coordinate. Yes. That's exactly right. So, wow. Well, that bird um, found itself in a different locale after that flight. Oh, it did. Now, I, I was uh, reading uh, about this story um, elsewhere, and one of our listeners said, uh, Was it an unaccompanied binder? <laughs> in fact, that's what Ray said. Who sent it in? Oh, oh did, he? Oh. did he? He did. He did. He where? Said, what, where what's all the fuss about? I, it was only another unaccompanied minor. Oh, sorry, Ray. Well done, I missed Ray. your actual feedback. I just started reading the story. My bad. I scrolled down too far. Very clever, oh. Ray. Unaccompanied minor. There we go. Maybe that's the title of this week's episode, or maybe not. I don't know. All right. With that, I think that's a, a good high note to end the show on. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show, downloading it, reviewing our podcast. If you want to learn more about our community, which is the best part of all of this, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com, where you'll find information about the crew, the community, uh, merchandise, coffee fund, all kinds of great stuff, including the community calendar and uh, you can kind of see what's going on with us where we are and meetups that are scheduled for the future and we're also on social media another great way to keep track of the crew sure is head on over to twitter.com and search for our handle at apg crew you can interact with us there send us um information in 280 characters or less and find all of our individual twitter information pinned to the top of that page you can also head over to facebook.com slash airline pilot guy uh, lots of great community information there interact with different community members send us uh, uh, aviation stories from wherever it is you are in the world and we hope to see you there excellent and we also have a slack team managed by our great community member hillel APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share ideas and news. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. 
To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled H-I-1-1-E-1. Hotel India, one one Echo one And see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel, for that. And a big thanks again for all the work that our producer Liz Piper does in Toronto. Thank you very much for that. And until next time, wishing all of you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Goodbye, everybody. Good day.